Hey there, freaks. I hope all is well on this beautiful Tuesday morning uh, at the end of February here in 2019. I have an incredible conversation with Monsieur Mamadov uh, for you guys today. We, we dove deep into Bitcoin as time, uh, the morality or perceived morality of Bitcoin or amorality of Bitcoin and a bunch of other topics. I think you guys are going to love this one. But before we get to the interview, I would like to introduce you to our recurring sponsor, BlockFi. It's tax season, guys. It's coming up. It's coming up real fast. We've got about a month and a half, which means it's time to think about the crypto taxes. No, you don't want to, but you have to. Don't fall into the trap of selling your crypto to pay your taxes. BlockFi helps crypto investors by providing U.S. dollar funding using your crypto as collateral. Put Bitcoin in BlockFi, uh, collateralize your loan. They send you back U.S. dollar. It's a pretty seamless process. You can then save your Bitcoin as long as you're paying that loan back and get the cash that you need to, to spend on whatever you need at that point in time. So you get your crypto back at the end of the loan. It's that simple. BlockFi customers use them for anything from buying a home to funding a business. Uh, so visit BlockFi.com slash Tales from the Crypt to learn more about using your crypto without having to sell today. That's BlockFi.com slash Tales from the Crypt. Got a special offer for you freaks. Uh, again, really think you guys are going to enjoy this conversation with Masir. Let us know what you think about it uh, on Twitter. If you're liking it, make sure you share it. Uh, please subscribe, rate, review, do anything. It helps us uh, produce more of these episodes. So uh, peace and love. I know you guys are going to enjoy it. What is up, freaks? Welcome back to Tales from the Crypt. It's your boy, Marty Bent. On a Friday afternoon in a relegation studio here in Brooklyn, New York. Big week of content. This is the fourth recording I've done all week. Uh, four out of five days. I've uh, recorded something. I hope my voice holds up for this one. It was out late uh, at a dinner last night. Imbibed too much whiskey. But happy to be here now with my guest. Uh, very excited for this conversation. Uh, this man has written a few very thought-provoking pieces over the last few months. Uh Draft one this week, actually. Um, I'd like to introduce all of you freaks to Bitcoin researcher, writer, legend, Masir Mamadov. Masir, welcome to the pod. Thank you very much, Marty. It's a great pleasure to be here. And I'm a great fan of your show. Definitely a freak as well. Thanks, man. It's love, love to have freaks on when, uh, <laughs> when the chance comes. Uh, so let's jump into this. Obviously, uh, You've been getting more into Bitcoin in the last year. In particular, you're a very astute tweeter. You're very good at going viral on Twitter with, with Bitcoin uh, sense and, and Bitcoin threads in particular. So I wish that's a skill I wish I had. So <laughs> I just want to tip my cap, tip <laughs> my you. cap there. Um, so how would you get into Bitcoin? Uh, that's what I'm, I'm curious to learn. How would you get into this? Did your brother force you into it? Well, he didn't necessarily force me into it. But like I'm sure that anyone can imagine that having Murad as your brother, as your older brother it's just inevitable sooner or later you are going to you are also going to be very much down the rabbit hole studying and learning all about bitcoin and i think that for some time i was kind of resisting this because he was already into bitcoin much earlier than i was and he was like telling me about it and i was like hmm, that's that's cool that's interesting but i was definitely more focused at the time at least on startups i i had a couple of I was working on a couple of startups with some of my friends from college, and we built a couple of apps uh, on iOS, Android, 
and that was all really cool and I, I enjoyed that until a certain point. Uh, what, so kind of, what kind of apps? So my latest one and probably the most successful one that we had was it was an app uh, that basically allowed you to know and be uh, notified of when your friends are in the same cities as you are. So let's say you travel to Amsterdam next week and before you even go there or when you arrive there, you, are, you basically get a notification that four of your friends are also here. But it, it would be like, you wouldn't get, the, they wouldn't know your exact location, but just the city. So unlike, I don't know what Facebook does or what Snapchat does, it was just more general, less creepy and more palatable to, to just users, you know? To an OPSEC uh, focused Bitcoiner in particular. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I was on Snapchat the other day and accidentally like scrolled to the map where you can see your friends that share the location. I was crazy. like, holy shit, you that's, idiots. Like, what are you doing? I know, right? Like, yeah, no. I don't really use Snapchat, but when I did, I always had that, like that function turned off. Yeah, I use Snapchat for literally three people: my sister, my brother, and my cousin. And my brother and my cousin, I in particular have like a fat camp, and we use Snapchat to prove that we're working out and stuff. (laughs) Nice, but uh, each other motivated. (laughs) Yeah, I was checking one of our fat camp snaps uh, this week, and came on that map and I, you're able to like scroll out and like scroll in at any point of the world and see where these people are. Like yeah, it's definitely really weird. Block. Yeah. So yeah, so we were basically trying to create something that wasn't necessarily like that, but was more uh, user friendly. And because nowadays like people become more and more aware of the fact that their data is constantly stolen, manipulated, s- sold for money by all these companies. And interestingly enough people there was good uh good feedback and people were interested and i remember like when i just launched it like maybe i i just maybe sent like five five of my friends like the link to the download and within like hours i had like 500 people from my university already using it which was really cool and the app young zuck like, baby let's go <laughs> uh wait until the end of the story uh <laughs> <laughs> And like it was really nice because uh, the app was in like top 200, I think, uh, in the tra- in the travel category on uh, App Store. And we were constantly making it better, blah blah blah. All always uh, trying to iterate, doing all, all the typical startup stuff. And then one day I get like uh, I get an email from um, so we were using Facebook API mm-hmm. uh, in order to basically show you that you log in through Facebook and you have access. The app, the app can know like who are your friends in order for you to be matched together in the same cities. And um, one day, like I get an email from Facebook saying that oh, we have to limit the, your access to our AP, uh, to our API, and that was very problematic because like our like the value proposition, the whole thing kind of depended on being able to take advantage of that, not take advantage of that, or basically use that because like Facebook is supposed to provide that for uh, developers, right? Mm-hmm. For entrepreneurs who want to build on top of that platform. But so the, in the email, they basically said, yeah, don't even reply to this. We're never going to explain why we're never going to what? tell you, uh, or this, you will never be able to basically revoke that, like take back that access or th- that's it. Like, and you're basically, this is like a you're you're faced with this thing and you like at that point you realize oh oh god like we live in this world where these companies have become so big and so powerful that they're essentially monopolies that are like uh single choke points that keep away anyone who is trying to like even 
remotely trying to be somehow in the same field in the same space like it's crazy like so they, they don't want you to compete with them and I, uh, at that point yeah go ahead go ahead at that point i i was like oh oh god like this is why bitcoin is cool because there's decentralization <laughs> because there's no that one single party who can just tell you nope you don't have access to this nope you won't be able to build this and I, th- th- that's when it started to click really right yeah and now i experienced this when we were at barstool like facebook cracked down on uh the media companies on their platform as well and uh, they did not let like media companies monetize like via ad, like videos that would have ads in them like on Facebook's platform. Like they wouldn't let them run. They wanted to suck up all that ad revenue. Oh yeah, I mean we weren't even monetizing anything. Everything was for free. It was just like it was just like an app built by college students that was literally launched like a month ago, <laughs> and they were already trying to do that. So what year was this? If you don't mind me, this was like asking two years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you had the oh shit moment. This is why Bitcoin exists. And what happened from there? Did you have Murad give you a bunch of reading materials? From there, or? yeah, of course. Uh, I came to him and I was like, "Give me the like you've already obviously been through this and like you know what resources I should use to basically delve deeper into it, so that I don't waste my time." Because you know, like back, especially back in at that time, like it was like at the. <coughs> Like that's when the bull market was like about to start and all that all that time. It was crazy. There's just so much noise, like you know, and you don't know who to listen to, who to trust, who to believe. Like right now it's kind of different because like in the bear market, like all these I think I I say like uh, in the bear market, like charlatans are they're on break. Like, you know, there's less and less of them and there's much more signal and it's much easier to actually like seek out uh quality information. Really, but yeah, but uh, back in the day, I think uh, he he definitely told me about your podcast, so that's something that I started to listen to, like from almost the very beginning. Really? Yeah. Nice. Damn. Well, I appreciate. It. I hope uh, hope I didn't lead you astray at all in the early no, days you, of this podcast. You, you actually put me right on track. Oh, thank you. So what? Uh, you led me here today. So wow. <laughs> right. Destiny. <laughs> what? Uh, like so. What in particular? Uh, so this is like one of my favorite questions to ask, especially people who come in hot with some good content, like out of nowhere, like what in particular helped you the most when you were first starting to learn and what sort of framework did you finally settle in on? And like, all right, here's how I filter the mm-hmm. signal from the noise. Well, I definitely think that limiting the amount of people that you listen to, that you follow, that you, uh, I mean, at first, obviously, it's hard because you first need to kind of, like, uh, get a sense of who's who and what is what and who has some kind of ulterior motive, who is trying to push some kind of agenda, whereas somebody else might be just there, just... Of course, nobody is purely objective, but has at least maybe some less bias, less subjectivity to what they're saying. And I think that if you follow, like, everyone on crypto Twitter, then, like, there's just going to be so much noise. But if you try to limit the number and the make sure that the quality of those people that you can more or less trust their views. Well, of course you can't trust everything they say, but you'll, you always have to have a, your own filter, mm-hmm. but yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, and there's just so many, so many scammers. Right. And any, any particular publications or blog posts? Well, yeah, uh, probably going to sound going to be repeating other people, but definitely, uh, I think, the stance that I kind of approached it 
with was more of like because I study economics so definitely mm. Austrian economics was something that really helped me understand Bitcoin and appreciate it more uh, from the from early on because I think that like yes Bitcoin is software yes Bitcoin is technology but to really appreciate the the, the huge impact that it will have on the world you really need to understand the economic side of it you know mm-hmm. because otherwise like you're just going to become like an ethereum head <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah so uh with regards to publications i don't know like uh mises.org uh, a bunch of different books uh by george guido hulsman like maybe if you notice the if you're wondering what my profile pic on twitter is it's a uh, it's the cover yeah. of uh ethics of money production so that's definitely a great book uh rothbard uh what they done to our money uh what else bunch of like uh nick zabo of course mm-hmm. his work is very very influential and like i think that he's one of those few few people um like to be able to appreciate bitcoin it's in like 99 percent of the like over 90 percent of the people are unable to appreciate what bitcoin is and how impactful uh it will be because they are they specialize in one or two domains or fields or academic um, disciplines but in order to be able to really understand bitcoin you need to at least have a considerable uh depth in in like a handful like in a dozen of mm-hmm. in a dozen of fields yeah. and very few people can do that i think he, nick, nick zabo is definitely one of the one of those mm-hmm. he understands the monetary history he understands the cryptography he understands blah blah blah, blah. like you know the there's law, the legal repercussions exactly but if you're just an economist then you're probably not going to understand the technology you're probably not going to understand the game theory necessarily or blah 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 and that that's like for every single person you need to get all those people together and have them think like as a super mind to only be able to understand what this is you know right so and that's why it's really hard like even if, so i think like even if you're a very smart person that doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to be able to it's just going to click just like that you need to always do research and you always need to uh delve into other uh disciplines that you might not have any knowledge in that's why i think twitter is the best resource because you just have uh masters of different domains meeting in a central place to be like all right i see where you're coming from in your domain here's where i'm coming from in my domain and you sort of piece it all together that way yeah no twitter is just an invaluable resource it's it's priceless i really i'm really glad that i uh joined uh when did you community when did i what when did you join june 2010 oh no it's just my old account I, i was like a teenager when i made it i actually joined maybe like half a year ago like i didn't really want to like make an account before i thought that i had enough obviously you can't know everything about bitcoin and and everyone is very far from that but until i had enough uh understanding of it at least to some extent it was obviously very subjective uh and only then like i think it was august 2018 when i when i when my first post was made what's life after uh life after twitter been like has it been different it's fun. I, I I really like it. I think that like a considerable amount of the information that I learn every day comes from Twitter and just like there's so much stuff going on. Like you know, and not just about Bitcoin. Like there are other fields that 
I feel like Bitcoin makes you realize many, many other things about life that are very, very valuable. Yeah. I uh, was lucky to f- find the ability to use Twitter as a tool to follow like FinTwit and, and financial markets like when I was working in finance. And like, so I've been following some of these FinTwit accounts for like almost six, seven years now. And it's just like, you can learn about anything in the world, any market, any region, any any war really that's another interesting thing i use twitter for as following like uh people in war torn areas while it's going on um again we we shill twitter pretty hard here already absolutely absolutely but to be honest like now that i've been exposed to now that i'm part of the bitcoin twitter crypto twitter whatever you call it uh like going and really like looking at other types of twitter like i don't know startup twitter or like i don't know vc twitter like it's just so boring like nothing is <laughs> right? going on there compared to like how much how much like activity there is in like with regards to bitcoin you don't see uh as much impassioned debate as there is in crypto twitter outside of uh crypto twitter exactly and that that's a huge sign i think like that's a huge sign you know Maybe the the one sect of twitter that might come close is like activist investor twitter probably mm-hmm. yeah. yeah yeah um but still, no, not 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 as much. <laughs> yeah, just shit talking products they don't like. We shit talk shit shit coins, so sort of similar. Um, so let's dive into it. I mean, you've been studying Bitcoin now for what two years? Mm-hmm. Uh, you've written some pieces. Most recently, you wrote uh, Bitcoin's incentive system or when the stars line. Before that, you and Yasin wrote uh, the first part. You only put out part one, right? Yeah, there's two more parts coming out. Yeah, so. part one of. Uh, the whether bitcoin is a winner take all yeah, winner or take winner all. take most um so setting the stage for that uh we'll jump into those but the topic that you're excited to talk about and i'm excited to hear you talk about that we're going to start out with tonight is bitcoin as time mm-hmm. um so bitcoin at the end of the day is a time stamping protocol one of my favorite ways that bitcoin has ever been described by andrew DeSantis is that bitcoin uh when uh, let me think of it Give me a sec. It's coming. <laughs> Bitcoin, when implemented correctly, uh, is a timestamping protocol. Bitcoin is a timestamping as a timestamping and messaging protocol that, if implemented correctly, results in a store value. There we go. That's what it was. Um, but like the time aspect, the timestamping aspect, I think that's something that you are very excited to talk about. Yeah, for sure. Uh, have you written about it yet? No, I haven't. So I, this is the first time I'm like coming out with these ideas. We got some fresh. I'm sure, I'm sure there are other people who are thinking about this. I don't take full credit for this, like, theory. But it's not a theory. I think it's just something you come to by deduction. And yeah, so basically, like you can talk about Bitcoin in a lot of different ways, and everyone says like this is no money. Bitcoin is money. No, Bitcoin is not money. Bitcoin is software. Bitcoin is like yeah, okay. Bitcoin is all those things. But at the most fundamental level. Like, you know how we think about Bitcoin as uh, stored energy. Why? Because, uh, and that's absolutely true. And why? Because Bitcoin enables us to extract um, and monetize sources of energy that are remote, that are trapped in areas for whatever logistical operational reason. And we're unable to make use of them, right? And I don't know, like just so the listeners know what I'm talking about. They probably already do, but you can basically use that energy instead of trying to get it 
I don't know, somewhere from a remote place in Ireland to the market, you would just use that energy to mine Bitcoins. And once you have those Bitcoins, you can literally just transact with them. You can send them anywhere in the world seamlessly, which is a huge, which is huge for, for in terms of efficiency. Like so, so much energy is just there. It just sits there, basically wasted. Nobody makes, takes advantage of it. And like, so yes, this is very important that uh, Bitcoin is stored energy, but more importantly, something more fundamental and more basic. And when I say basic, I don't mean basic in conventional sense. I mean the complexity in, from a complexity standpoint. In, yeah, in terms of like human nature. Yeah, Bitcoin is time, and I will explain why that is and why that is just more important than any other little eureka revelation moment that I had in in the last two years. Bitcoin is time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you know how uh, how people always say that Bitcoin is, as opposed to other forms of money, as opposed to other things, it's very scarce. It's, uh, it's stock to flow ratio is very high. It's mm -hmm. like, it's going to be more scarce than uh, gold soon. And uh, basically nobody can increase its supply at, at their will and wherever they want, as opposed to many other things that that's like, basically the supply of Bitcoin is inelastic to changes in demand. Mm which is very important, but you have to understand that there's something that is more fundamentally scarce, more limited in its nature than Bitcoin, than gold, than anything for that matter, than real estate on Manhattan, than anything. And that is the human time that every single one of us is allotted on this earth. Mm -hmm. And if you just think about that, there's not, nothing else. Time. That's, that's it. That's all you have. You have your, well, what's the average life expectancy nowadays? Like 70 years, depending on where you are, I guess. But yeah, nobody really lives more than 100 years, right? You're getting cosmic so early into this. I love yeah, it. but th that's important. <laughs> Time. <laughs> to get cosmic, right? <laughs> right? No, that's why I've been saying a lot on this podcast recently. You only have one life, freaks. Enjoy it. So yeah, so yeah, you, you actually better enjoy it and make most of it. And enjoy it. Uh, don't waste it on things like that you don't don't necessarily make you happy. Uh, so we have those 70, 80 years or whatever. And <clears throat> even if you have a lot of resources, like what are you going to do? You can maybe lead a healthier lifestyle so or have the best doctors, best medicine. So maybe that's going to increase your life by like maybe 10 years, 15 years. Who knows? Like, But what we need to think of the idea that like even some of the richest people in the world some of the most influential people like billionaires they die in their 50s sometimes in their 60s because of like god forbid for ca cancer or, or what other any other uh, debilitating disease uh and they can't do anything about that mm -hmm. they like you would think that they, they have like billions of dollars they have so so much power but they can't like don't you think that I don't Everybody's know. on a level playing field when it comes to time. Exactly, maybe. exactly. Steve Jobs, what he died, uh, I think, of pancreatic cancer at 56. Like you would think, like he is literally one of the most important people of our time, and he couldn't, couldn't do it. Him. Couldn't, no, he couldn't. And there you have someone else who didn't do anything, and he lives or she lives for 90 years or whatever. But that's not the, the point. Is that nobody controls that? We can't control that, and our time is absolutely limited. Whatever it is, 56, 70. Or whatever. The Grim Reaper can come whenever. Exactly. <laughs> and um, I think that it's very important to know that, um, like, once again, like, those billionaires, they would probably 
don't you think that they would have given up like a big percent of their wealth, billions of dollars, just to live another decade? Just maybe live another year, for all mm -hmm. that matter. For, for, for all I know, like, you know? Like, because if you have billions, if you have so much power and wealth, like, what good is it if you're not there to enjoy, like, to, like, enjoy the fruits of your labor, if you are not there? Like, I'd rather be super, I'd rather be very poor and alive than the richest person in the world and dead, like, you know? Right. Exactly. So you have to understand that your time is the most scarce, the most important, the most fundamentally limited thing in, in nature. And there's not, not, nothing can compete with that. And this leads me to my next thought. Mm -hmm. uh, so the fact that most of us, say, live 70 years, as I always said, we work anywhere from like 30 to 35 or maybe 40 years of our waking life, you know? So considerable amount of time of our life is spent working in a factory, in an office, wherever, whatever you do. And why is that? Because we need money, right? And we need money to get by. And if we don't, if we stop working, then we'll probably not be able to maintain the same living standard or just not be able to have a roof over our head or mm -hmm. be able to buy the food that we need to eat. So basically, when you work, you are engaging in a voluntary exchange and you are giving away your, yes, you're giving away your energy, but more importantly, you're giving away your time. Yes. You're giving away your time in exchange for money, Let's say dollars. For example, you get a wage in dollars, but wait a moment. We just came to the conclusion that time is the most scarce, the most fundamentally limited in its supply mm -hmm. thing in, in the universe in, that you can possibly have. Whereas money, as we know money in the world today, let's say dollars, they are very, Infinite. very different. They're very much expandable ah, in their nature. You know? I see where their you're supply going is this. not limited. So like this realization is just mind bending. Like this means that you're giving away something that cannot possibly be created, AKA your time for something else, for money, dollars that are constantly increasing in their supply and thereby losing their value. Like, this is a terribly unfair exchange if you come to think of it. Right? Yeah. Like, you're, you're trying the, the work and the wage that you make uh, for the work that you expend is supposed to, to represent uh, value that should be stored throughout time. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And you have to realize that the yearly inflation rate in the United States is what like five percent uh, i mean they they say that it's like two three but it's we know that it's much more than that but for the sake of the argument let's say it's five right mm -hmm. and this means that your wealth that you hold in dollars because most likely you're paid your wages paid in dollars loses five percent of its value every year because your share of that money supply becomes smaller relative to the total share that just has expanded by five percent and at first it seems that five percent right not that much, right? 5%, what was 5%? But wait, it is more important to think about it. Think about the effect that uh, is, the effect is amplified over time. And if you basically compound that, those 5%, uh, you realize that it only takes around 15 years for your dollars to lose 50% of their value, of their original value. And that means that if you work really hard, you save up, a considerable amount of money. Let's say you say you work for years and you saved a hundred thousand dollars, and you are planning to use this money in the future. You're planning to, I don't know, 
buy your child uh, um, or like pay for your child's tuition, buy a house for your family. But the thing is that this means that in just 15 years time, that $100 that you worked so hard for, $100,000, will only buy you stuff worth of $50,000. It's, mm -hmm. it's going to lose half of what it's worth. Purchasing power. Exactly. And so this means that it is essentially impossible to save these dollars that you earn and hope that you will be able to buy the same stuff in the future. What do you have to say to the Keynesians who would say, uh, who are savers to, to reap the benefits of value stored through time? Like, inflation's necessary to get people stoking the economy. I don't, I don't think that uh, deflation is bad. I don't think that... Uh, I think we need to really think about the idea that somehow, through time, somebody was able to uh, create this implicit negative connotation uh, right? associated with money and saving money and hoarding. He's a hoarder. Oh, wow, what a terrible person. He hoards money. Wait, w wait a second. What, what does it mean? Like Before we get into attacking that person and lynching a person who just decides to save money, uh, what does it mean? M saving money means that you are basically providing value for society and that, that value is represented in money. I'm sorry, but money is not bad. Money is actually good. It's like if you create value for society, if you help others, then they're willing to give you something in return and that is money. And if you want to be able to uh, have a, some cert certitude in the future to be able to hedge for the risks of life, and life is very risky, you want to be able to pay for your children's uh, school education for your for some maybe uh, God forbid some emergency medical expenses that anyone can have you want to be able to save money into the future and that's fine you don't want to be consuming random nonsensical useless products every single day that we are forced to do in the current uh, environment because we know that if you don't if you don't spend today then tomorrow I'm not going to be able to buy what I can buy today. So I, I'm forced to. Like The most optimal thing is to buy today because tomorrow or go into debt today, get a mortgage today because tomorrow is going to not be able to, I'm not going to be able to do that. So I don't, I don't think it's, it's fair. Right. But, yeah. And this reminds me of my uh, conversation from like a year and a half ago now with Santiago Siri when he was on this podcast. But when he explained like experiencing hyperinflation in Argentina in particular, like particularly is, is like memories of his mother or father getting paid and then running to the grocery store and, and buying food as quickly as possible before the exchange rate changed. Like that is just, I would argue this sort of scenario played out to like a much more extreme, not even much more extreme. Uh, obviously it's more extreme at that point in time, but like we are somewhere along the timeline of ending up running to the grocery store to, to buy uh, groceries as fast as we possibly can after getting paid. Um, right now, uh, it's forcing people to to conspicuously spend on like a quarterly, monthly, weekly basis. But uh, maybe we're eking closer and closer towards like a daily, hourly, minute by minute basis, like Venezuela and Argentina are are experiencing. Yeah, uh, that's that's very true. And I think what's what's also important to understand is that. So what, what the Keynesians and what the status quo economists are probably advocating for is like we need inflation because inflation is necessary to stimulate the demand. And if there's no inflation, then people are not going to be the demanding the products that are that our companies and our society builds and blah, blah, blah. But you need to understand that 
like how the process of civilization adma- adva- advancement comes about. And it comes about in the following manner. People are able to create value for the society and they are rewarded with, let's say, money, uh, with something that stores their wealth. And they're able to collect that. And by collecting, they are uh, <clears throat> they're able to save that money in order to have some time to think about the potentially long-term viable investments that they can make with this with, with this money that they now have but so let, let's say i have i earn some money and i have like a year to think about what startup i should build or what business i should invest in or what stock i should buy uh but if i earn money and i know that it's going to be worthless or is going it's not going to have the same i'm going to be uh i'm going to be pushed to spend it and i don't have enough time to think about a good uh, good investment. I'm probably just going to buy something that I don't even need and definitely not something that's going to increase the economy or uh, or the GDP or create jobs. So like if, if you give people time, they're definitely going to be making better decisions. Like everyone needs time, you know? Mm-hmm. And so how do we get to the point of Bitcoin sort of representing time, uh, storing your value via Bitcoin and having that represent your your hard work throughout time to just getting to pure bitcoin is time right? yeah so like i i'm nowhere from being done with this, uh, with this <laughs> I- idea so let me let me continue we kind of went on a tangent here so basically we live in a world where it's n- impossible to earn dollars and hope that you'll be able to have them the same buying power in the future and this leads people who you would think that have nothing to do with these domains they, they have to be part of them like uh people in this world they you, you see like a lot of like dentists or florists who are who are kind of forced to talk about the stock market or who are right. forced to think of making an investment in real estate chase like, for yield man I- exactly like they aren't supposed to be doing that you know like a florist or a dentist they have they specialize in something they are they have mastered a skill and they mas- they continue to master it every single day and they they shouldn't be they shouldn't be in need of trying to find the best performing stock uh to make sure that their money doesn't like so that they can keep uh the same wealth that they earn today you know right. like they don't have like why they don't have the time to watch bloomberg they don't have the time to read financial newsletters. They and if shouldn't. you are watching Bloomberg or CNBC, you're getting info from like Kramer, like the fast money guys who are fucking basically throwing darts at the fucking well, wall. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, and probably they're also not an accredited investor in the first place, so they right? don't have access to like how <laughs> most of the investments that are available. And well, another thing is that like, so people, my my point is that people, a lot of like people in this world who understand that money, like if you hold your dollars cash, it's not going to preserve your wealth into the future. They buy stocks, equity, or real estate because that tends to perform better. It tends to preserve its value better into the future. But the thing is that these people who suffer the most are those who are paid in dollars in cash and they don't have the access. They don't have the information. They don't have the time. To have, most importantly, they don't have the time. I think. Exactly. Like you're working they a work job. all day. Like, yeah. mo- like, unfortunately, people who are uh, not as financially privileged as others, they tend to work longer hours. They 
tend to have less time for to spend with their family, to spend on some other hobbies, or to sit on the internet, learn about the, how the I don't know financial trends work. And more importantly, they also they don't even have the 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 amount of money that you need in order to invest into real estate, right? Yeah, exactly. Like they can't afford an apartment in Vancouver or Manhattan. Like <laughs> what? <laughs> they can't buy like a portion of it. <laughs> and these people are the ones who are just forced to have cash, and they're the ones losing out the most. Right. And that's that's crazy. Exactly. So it's very important to understand that this exchange that we're engage engaged in, in everyday life of me working long hours, giving away my strictly limited, scarce resource, absolutely limited time, in exchange for something that is the opposite. That's something that expands all the time, money, like dollars, for example. And, yeah. Can we go off on a little tangent? Uh, sure, yeah. I was going to say, but like, when you explain it this clearly, it makes it like hard to believe that there's not some like conspiracy to keep the average man down like via these these monetary policies like am i getting too too alex I mean, jones call, here call it call it whatever you want like i mean conspiracy the word conspiracy has like this like oh conspiracy no it must not be true but like i think humans are made human no human like humans are not good or bad humans are just humans and people seek out the best opportunities for themselves and i think that like it just so happened that in the world that we are in today, the uh, the tables turned in a way, the, the emergent properties have played out in a way that this is the case and it benefits certain people at the expense of others. And until now, until Bitcoin has came about, I don't think it would be it was possible to somehow change that status quo. So you too believe that Bitcoin is the sly roundabout way to take a yes. currency out of the, the hands of the government? Hike. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, All right, so, tangent over. Yeah. <laughs> so basically the idea is that because we don't have sound money, we are forced to work most of our life. Most of our life are forced to wor work instead of doing the things that we actually enjoy. Because frankly, most people probably don't really enjoy their work. I mean, I hope they do, but... I don't think that every single person in the office particularly enjoys it, their time. And yeah, that's pretty terrible. <laughs> and the office, like that's actually a pretty good outcome. A lot of people don't have this a very privileged uh, outcome. Uh, the only thing that you have is your time on this planet. And nothing matters more than your time because as we already established, that is the most scarce thing. And now that we've realized that this exchange is fundamentally unfair, so this obligatory pursuit of money that we are forced to as human beings is basically the deal with the devil. There is no way to win. Uh, working for your wage, for your dollars, means you are the donkey chasing the carrot. Right. It's a rat race. And I'm carrots? not saying that nobody should work. I'm just like, Some people, they have no other choice. And yes, but that's the system that we live in and that's what we're supposed to be thinking about. Demand better money where yeah. you can store your, your it, work. Exactly. So you're, once again, I'm, I'm just going to reiterate this because like it's, I just think it's so important. You're exchanging your strictly limited time on this earth for an infinitely expand, expandable dollar or any, any money. So like this is, this is a huge scam, essentially. Huge if you scam. think about it. Like, Masir, we throw scam around a lot in this industry. Is this a true scam or are you, <laughs> uh, 
Are you just trying to pump Bitcoin here? <laughs> <laughs> we haven't even got, got, gotten to Bitcoin. What are you talking about? <laughs> no. Bitcoin is coming. <laughs> I haven't even said anything about Bitcoin no, yet. But it is really a scam. And people, and I, we're going to get into this later, but like people don't understand money. And again, and I like talked about this in the bent this week. Like uh, when Arbed Out highlighted uh, the history of Iran in, in 1296, like the Iranian merchant class, like, destroyed the the financial czar when he tried to introduce paper money to their to their uh silver dinar system um so like and then another example uh which is slipping my mind right now um oh uh yeah and uh i believe it was one of the founding fathers i forget exactly it might be thomas jefferson butchering this quote right now but like dude, like or no, it was one of the bankers. Like, I care not who makes the laws if I can control yeah. the money press. That's all that matters. Like, there's themes throughout history that, like, say, like, hey, whoever controls the money is, like, it's it's an important aspect of our lives and it should be taken seriously to not let it become bastardized. And it's been a big theme recently. Like, we just don't understand that we're thrown into the system where, like, money isn't fair. Like, the, the financials are, and Iran has succeeded and people don't even realize that it's bad. Yeah. It's a scam. It's crazy. I mean, like, the the Fed, the U.S., like, I mean, the dollar is the one who really controls the world at, at this point. But I don't think that it's impossible to change that because we ha now have Bitcoin. But essentially, so my point is that this is a vampiric force. And... It is a vampiric force because it's, it is literally sucking life out of you. It is draining you hour by hour, year by year. It is oh stealing God. your time. This is poetic, monsieur. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't try to make it. It's poetic. vampiric. It is. It's sucking your time. Mm -hmm. It's like a vampire. Your valuable time and, and depreciating, or excuse me, uh, inflating the shit uh, out of the money supply that you're supposed to store that time in. Yeah. Like, realizing that is, I think it's very important. And... Finally, enough of the negative, enough of the uh, the grim and the gloomy, the vampires. <laughs> we come to something that has the potential to change that to a, lar to a large extent. Because Bitcoin, with its strictly limited supply, its, well, at first disinflationary and eventually deflationary nature, allows you to have a very, very much uh, fairer trade. Because you are now exchanging your strictly limited time for a similarly strictly limited units of value. Just think about that. Mm -hmm. This is this is much more fair because now that now that means that you are giving away something that is limited for something else that is also limited. It's very different. So, <laughs> you know the meme uh, joke woke. So I, yeah. I I say joke time is money. Woke money is time. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Damn, you just flipped it on the head. <laughs> so Bitcoin is essentially the first money that allows you to trade your truly, f truly valuable, truly scarce, strictly limited human time for something that is similarly limited in its supply, which is changes everything. And I'll say why. Like... If you think about it this way, like you could calculate the amount of extra time that an average human spends working because of the fact that their money doesn't, like their dollars, for example, they don't hold their value. Please tell me you crunched the numbers. I didn't necessarily crunch any numbers, but like, I mean, it's, 
somebody should probably do that much more accurately than me, but this is very approximate and rough. But like without Bitcoin, without sound money, people have to work multiple number of times more during their life as opposed to the amount of time that they would have otherwise worked if they had sound money like Bitcoin. Maybe this is the way we start framing Bitcoin. It's like, we all know you hate work. We all know everybody hates fucking work. We all know you want to work less. Sound <laughs> sound money, a Bitcoin standard would make this possible because you could save your wealth throughout time. I know, right? Hey, everybody working on the narratives out there that's listening to this, write this down. This is uh, we're bringing us up at the next Bitcoin meeting. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. So once again, this is very rough and approximate, but say we work 30, 40 years of our life. That means that the dollar that that you make lose like you know how we said the dollar that you make loses 50% of its value over maybe 15 approximately 15 years so during those 30 40 years your basically dollar loses that 50% like more than t- twice yes which means that like once again this is very rough don't quote me on anything but like this makes an average person work like anywhere from 2 to 3 times more than they would have otherwise could if they wanted to have the same amount of purchasing uh, if the same amount of wealth in their life and that's crazy like it, like if you think about it people with sound in the sound money world people could retire in their 40s like easily How they it, wouldn't have to but they could whereas right now they are forced to work like until their 50s and and it's still unable to pay a lot of their debt. Let's extrapolate even further. Like, how does this change, like, human nature? And what does the world look like if people are able to do this? And the rat race sort of gets... Uh, the world looks very, very much differently. Uh, Why? Because now that every single person has so much more time on their hands, and instead of every mother, every father going out and working from 8 to 5, or, I mean, maybe sometimes later, they can now spend that time with their family... They can now spend that time doing the things that they enjoy. They can now have that time to actually think of their, I don't know, some side projects. And as we know, the side projects always uh, result in some some uh, very, very impactful uh, products. I don't know, like, you know how in Google they have to, they had a 25% of the time or like one day a week, mm-hmm. do whatever you want. And yeah. like a lot of innovation came out from there. And like people, if you give them, if you give them the time and the, ability to just do what they like they they become creative they do what they and like it's crazy like i mean you could think about it as like like the social effect of forget about the economics of it like the social effect that this has is also very destructive i think like if you spend most of the time if you're of your day working like what is what are you going to become like you're going to hit the world you're going to hate yourself because you don't have anything you just have to come fat you just left, bald you just left out of work, shape you had dinner you ha- you really want to sleep and you have to wake up to do that once again and all over again like you know it's no way to live i like physically like that's one of the reasons i had to quit finance like i physically had like a physical aversion to sitting in the cube all day like i could feel myself getting fat out of shape like that's not normal there's something i just felt like it. i and felt I like a rat in a cage yeah there's, that's not i don't think that's the optimal way that a human being should just exist like you know I, this is once again some might say this is very privileged of you to say that but like in theory i think sound money allows us to change that to considerable extent and have people enjoy similar liv- living standards while working how less many, hours how many people do you think enjoy their lives this is a heavy question 
enjoy their lives. Yeah. I think a lot of people enjoy aspects of their lives and they don't necessarily, and maybe they hate the other aspects of their life. That's a good way to put it. So uh, <laughs> I don't think it's just, yeah, I don't, they, they might may hate their work or that's, maybe that's but a better they're question. willing how many to people, how, a percentage of everybody that's working. How many do you think hate their job? A large percent. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, the dream is to enjoy your work, but like, that's such an idealistic thing. Right. What do you need to do? Like, I don't well, is know. It, is it idealistic only in this system or do you think uh, there is a way? In which I think people it's could definitely more it? idealistic, a lot more idealistic in this system mm-hmm. because here you are forced to chase, chase that carrot here you are forced to be that donkey and you are essentially you have less choice and you just have to do what you uh what brings you money because you need to work constantly to make sure that you can have some wealth have some purchasing power because otherwise it's just going to start it's, it's fleeting you know and but in a world where you uh where money sound uh, that means that you can work as a florist, and if you actually enjoy that, you can just do that. And you know that if you earned a hundred thousand dollars over the last couple of years, you will have that same amount of money. You can literally just stop working. You can take a, I don't know, a sabbatical, not work for a couple of years, and then come back and know that oh, at least I have this because I've earned it in the past. I don't have to constantly be worried about the future. Right? Yeah. <clears throat> That's what like. So if like there is a trend, like obviously there's going to be, a tr- if Bitcoin comes to fruition uh, in the way in which we think it will and the, the most uh, optimistic way in which we can envision, the people that go along for the ride of this monetization event, like that's going to be a unique sect of gener- a couple generations of people that participated in this uh, sort of new asset uh, monetizing and, and, and accruing value. Like, is there like a period? I guess is what I'm, is there like a period where like the people that rode that wave have like a different life than the people that come after them, um, or like do you sort of re, like so take everybody to a new level? Like, uh, rising tide raises all boats, and like you sort of plateau up there. I think it does raise all the boats. Well, obviously, the people who have invested in Bitcoin in 2011 are clearly going to uh, make more money uh, than those who. Like we need to understand that even if you like I believe that even if you don't necessarily profit directly from uh bit like holding bitcoin while this monetization process occurs and while the bitcoin's price increases you are still going to be better off because in a world of sound money in a world where people are using bitcoin that means that you're most likely going to be paid in bitcoin that means that your labor is now is now able to preserve itself and preserve its its fruits into the future so even if you didn't even if you're not somebody who bought i don't know a thousand bitcoins in 2010 for for the penny on the dollar you're still you're still your life will still be better because now now you don't have to constantly chase something now you can work for 15 years 20 years of your life and then never work again because at least you have that you made that value you created that value you were rewarded for that value and now you can you can plan into the future and you can be like, okay, if I spend, let's say, I don't know, $2,000 every month, then I will be able, my, uh, uh, I will be able to not have to work for this amount of time and I'll be able to live a comfortable life because I've already worked for the last 20 years. But right now, you can't really do that because you don't know like how this money supply 
how the Fed is going, what, what is, what, what their monetary policy is going to be next year, and how is that going to imp impact your life, right? Yeah, and so Bitcoin as time is the is the perfect asset to store your time. It's uh, fascinating. I've never heard. Uh, the thought experiment explained that way. Are we done with the thought experiment yet? Almost. Almost. All right, we're still <laughs> going. Let's keep going. So you remember how I just said that like a world where we have something like Bitcoin, hopefully Bitcoin, <laughs> uh, sound money essentially, that means that people will be able to, if they were to lead the same lifestyle, have the same standard of living, have the same wealth as they do in this world, they could technically work two, maybe two, three times less like, I mean, this is very rough, but definitely less than they do have to now. That's the most important thing, and considerably less. <coughs> so you th you understand that this creates an incredible amount of efficiency. This, this technology is enabling so much efficiency. And, like, if, you, if people have to work two or three times less, that means that they have to drive their car to work two or three times less. They have to buy, uh, I don't know, two or three times less of useless stuff that they need to work and all Khakis these button-down shirts and exactly stuff like that. and like and then people talk about how bitcoin is like is using so much energy and is destroying the world like they they are thinking so small dude. small yeah it's so so narrow-minded to just like oh no bitcoin is using 0.1 percent of the world's energy or whatever i don't know how much it is but like no but you have to you can't just look at what's like you ha on the surface, you have to understand what is the underlying meaning and how that what impact is going to have, and the impact is huge. So, if the world, if like people are going to be wasting two, three times less effort, like less personal energy, and only working, let's say, two times less, like like the efficiency that is enabled by that, and it's only worth what seventy billion dollars. <laughs> That's laughable. Right? Can right? you imagine like something that can make the world? more efficient by n by number of times like by i don't know how orders many but magnitude by, yeah by orders Ma of magnitude so like I, you haven't even i don't know if you're gonna get to it maybe i'm finishing the thought experiment here but like the amount of human ingenuity that would be oh yeah i mean i'm ingenuity. not even talking about that i'm talking about just like the amount of wasted time yes and, but, but the amount, it's not just a negative back, exactly you start it's also positive because it gives you so much time to do what actually is important to you important to the world yeah exactly all the inventions, all the technology that is enabled by that. I haven't even gotten to that. So maybe that 2x is amplified by like a magnitude. Exactly. But and given all that, like that technology that can make everything so much more efficient, <laughs> something that will allow every person to work several times less and earn the same amount of wealth in their life is only worth $70 billion. <laughs> like very few people... How early are we, dude? Like... Very few people understand this, and like understanding this opens your eyes to why Bitcoin's market capitalization will be like in today's equivalent will be in the hundreds of trillions of dollars. I, I think hundreds of trillions. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about the monetization path. Like, what's it look like? <sighs> well, uh, it looks like that it first has to uh, be a store of value. Like, I mean, I'm not going to say anything different from what most people say because I, I agree with that. Like yeah. something becomes first, it becomes I'm a talking like about like I'm not talking about like re-explain the collectible SOV. Yeah. I'm talking about more like what do you think like macro-wise drives this? Do you think it's uh, sort of understanding of the technology and uh, a, a conscious choice of Good question. choosing it uh, over the US so dollar, or is it forced? 
people forced into a corner to use it. It's something that I thought about a lot and something that some time ago I was like, I, I always thought that oh, it's so important to create this educational content to teach people about what Bitcoin is and the underlying, what money is. And I still think that that's very important. And I like what you are doing, what like even I'm doing to, to a very small extent because I'm just writing articles and uh, being on Twitter, uh, I guess also helps someone sometimes <laughs> understand, like they'll be able to appreciate Bitcoin. Uh, but the thing is that I don't think that even in the world where everyone uses Bitcoin or hyper Bitcoinized world, I still think that a lot of the people, if not, I don't know how many, but a lot of people will still not understand what the hell this is, <laughs> what what money is, why it is better than, and they do. And the funny thing is that they don't need to, they don't need to. Like, Beauty on always t- talks about how like shout out Beauty on, shout yeah, out Keen, yeah, shout out to uh, Bitcoin Matters. It's a yes. it's a, it's a very podcast. cool podcast. Him and Clark Shane and, Shane, uh, Shane and Kennedy. Beauty on, yeah. yeah. Um, he always says that like people use WhatsApp. And they enjoy the fact that it's they can rely on its encryption, but they, they, they don't even know what encryption really is or how it works. Or they don't they they don't know any of that. They, they don't need to. They, it just works. And mm-hmm. that's why everyone uses it. And the same thing, like I thought that like, oh God, how is every single person going to understand like all this Austrian economics, all all, all this game theoretical theories, uh game game theory and everything that comes with that. Like like it took me like I don't know, like reading 10 books, uh, watching so many videos, listening to so many podcasts to just like be able to come close somewhere to like mm-hmm. be able to understand it. Like nobody, nobody has the time for that. Ain't nobody got time for that, man. Like, <laughs> nobody got who, time for that. Who has the time to do that? Right. That's why I'm so happy I found Bitcoin in college when I had so much fucking time. Exactly. Yeah. Likewise. Uh, people can barely like have, the, like, and we also have to think about the attention spans nowadays. Like, you know how back in the day everyone was watching, when people were watching movies, like people in the theater, like I don't know, the thes- thespians probably th- most likely thought of uh, movies. They're, that's the, that's the, uh, haven't heard thespians dropped in a while, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> such a low level uh, form of entertainment. It's like, you know, so um, high time preference, you know, mm-hmm. like movie, you just sit down, watch a movie, eat popcorn. And now even movies, like now I think movies are becoming what like, for example, theater was back in the day because now we have, uh, we have Netflix, which is like 20-minute shows. We have short YouTube videos. We have Vines, God forbid. <laughs> we have, uh, I don't know, Snapchat. And it's everything is so quick. Everything is instant. Everything is like consume, consume, consume. Uh, swipe left, swipe right. Uh, you know, like, dislike. All that type of stuff. Frame Pe- switch, frame switch, frame exactly. switch. Exactly. It's Boom. crazy. Yeah. It's, it's just absolutely crazy. Like the amount of information. And people are now, they're not willing to like, Last time, like, me people don't watch, mo- like, very few. I'm, I really like movies, and I'm really into, like, film. Uh, but most of the time when I s- try to maybe hold a conversation about, I don't know, what, what, who's your favorite director, what movies you like, nobody's like, oh, I, I don't really watch, I don't have any favorite director, I don't watch movies, I watch Netflix. Right. I watch Netflix, yeah. Because it's easy to watch 20-minute episodes and, you know, binge watch them instead of, like, having to sit for two hours, think about something, like, you know? Well, and let's talk about the state of movies, though. Movies suck today. There's yeah. no good, like... I would argue, like, after Christopher Nolan's Batman series, like, that's not, like, the last good movie series. There's been other good movies, but, like, it's shit. It's just a bunch of remakes, like, a bunch of redos, like, and I like to get, like, I'm, I love movies, too. Like, mm-hmm. I love Stanley Kubrick. I love his films. Yeah. Um, 
watched Eyes Wide Shut uh, recently. Yeah, man, that's, that's a crazy. One. That's a crazy movie. I don't. I'm very. I have very mixed feelings about that movie. Yeah, it's I a don't crazy know. It's movie. like very interesting, but at the same time, quite disturbing. Uh, Is I, it real? Is that shit happening? In I, don't know. I, I was. I went recently to um, to one of those parties. <laughs> no, it was it was an interactive, immersive show experience. There's like a uh, in, in on Ma- in Manhattan. There's like this like five story hotel, and mm-hmm. you basically go in there. Everyone has to like all the all the audience members have to wear wear a mask. What? And they walk around this like very dark, very gloomy like post apocalyptic hotel. Uh, like after it's like set in after World War Two or something or during the World War Two. And you walk around, and then there's people who are interacting with you, who are actors, and they're basically performing. And like I don't know, like, it's crazy. They're walking around naked. Like it's, it's what? It's, I mean, you, it's almost like you're in that movie. What's <laughs> going on in Colombia? Is this a Colombia? Or no, this has nothing to do with Colombia. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, I don't know if I want to go to this, um, but I am a little bit intrigued. What the hell is going on? It's here? based on Shakespeare, actually, like Macbeth or something. Oh, really? Yeah, interesting. But anyways, uh, we were talking about people like consuming information they, they, yes. they don't have the like and i'm not even talking about reading books i'm talking about movies <laughs> watching movies is much easier than reading a book right and reading like, books whew, so boring yeah, there, are, there are no tv shows yet that you can watch to really understand the value proposition of bitcoin unfortunately right. i'm sorry <laughs> let alone vines <laughs> right that's something i've been thinking about though Still like many video series stuff yeah exactly i think that that's that's definitely something that is a good good medium that will enable a lot of people to really appreciate it. So my my point being is that people don't have the time to really understand and the value proposition of Bitcoin, but they don't necessarily need to. Most people don't need to understand it because the economic reality imposes itself onto the world, onto the people Excuse me, it, itself. Yeah, yeah. Matt, so I bring up your your pin tweet here. Mass adoption of Bitcoin is inevitable. Yeah. So why is it? Inevitable? I think that's what you're getting at. Is it's inevitable? It doesn't matter if people understand it. So let's get into why you think Bitcoin adoption is inevitable. Why? Simply because it is sounder than other forms of money. And when something is more sound, and not only sound, like I mean, yes, it's sound, but it's also constantly appreciating in value. Like if we look at its price, if we look at the low, at the low lowest price of Bitcoin every single year in the last 10 years. It has been increasing at a very, very good rate. I think only one year it went down or decreased. Yeah, I think so. Like in it has a lower low. 15, right, I remember. Yeah, but I think one. Yeah. But still, nine out of 10 years, it's been doing what it's supposed to be doing. And like, it's so early that it's going to be doing that <clears throat> for quite some time until we hit a plateau, which is not coming anytime soon probably maybe in like a hundred years but uh the point being is that people even the detractors of something like bitcoin they are incentivized to be part of it like because you know like even if you don't like it you might as well profit from it like everyone like everyone is it's actually like the, the, something I wrote, I think it was in the in the last article. Like I think we, there's some people that know me that hold Bitcoin just uh, as a hedge in case I'm right. You know exactly, yeah. Because like if if Marty, if this my annoying friend Marty, who's yeah. been on about Bitcoin, if he's going to be right, he's going to be so much richer and so much more powerful than me, and I will be going to be the idiot. Might as well at least be, at least make fun of him, but not end up in a worse position than he is because at least like I hedged my risks. You know exactly. No, and it's it's getting to the point where. Somebody put out a, 
a thread saying like if you're a millionaire like it's becoming riskier not to own a little bit bitcoin than it is to own bitcoin especially if you're in that sort of net worth area definitely yeah and i think that what's very important to understand is that every single entity group or collective is made up of self-motivated individuals like we th we usually think of like uh the the fed or i don't know the american government the round table of some masons like that's not how it works <laughs> that's and like even if it were to work like that which i don't think it is exactly like that even if it were like, these are hypothetically these 10 people at that round table they're all humans they're they are not a collective hive mind super brain that think in unison and try to take over the world and dominate. They all have children. They all have families. They all have personal priorities. They're all constantly thinking adversarially like any other human being. Like, mm, my, so one of these 10 people is probably thinking, oh, this other person who is also very powerful and who is my probably friend of me as always, how do, I, what do I do? Maybe I should get into this Bitcoin. Uh, maybe I should get some, some of this Bitcoin so that in the next 10 years I'm, I'm going to, I don't know, so that I will have, I'll become even more powerful than he is. Like nobody can think, this is like, this is what like Austrian economics teaches you, you know? And like right. that you have to get down to an individual level. And on individual level, there's no we, there's no us, there's no entities, groups, or collectives. There's just you and you are- Survival. Yeah, survival, making your own decisions, optimizing for, for yourself basically, you know? No, and this is, and a lot of people would try to imbue like the selfish uh, sort of tag on people that think that way. Like it's important to think about yourself as an individual first and then work outwards. But I truly believe like that is important to understand and sort of strive for because especially if we believe that Bitcoin is a grassroots movement. If it is truly grassroots, grassroots, grassroots movement should start with the individual. Like, conquer your own domain and then move out uh, from there and get your house in order and then I mean this is human nature yeah then start everyone prioritizes themselves yeah. over anything else and I'm not saying that this is good or bad this is just what we who we are as animals if you can't help yourself do. how are you going to help someone else exactly you know yeah and I've been thinking recently like the more you realize that we live in a world that is guided by the principles of survival of the fittest um the more you actually want to help other people right you know like people say like people don't want to they they kind of like dismiss this they negate this idea no it's this is not a world of natural selection this is not that we are all together in this happy go lucky world where we help each other where we are all no but like at the end of the day you know like you have to be strong you have to be able to do your best unfortunately like but if you know that that is the case you you know that some other people who are truly at a disadvantage who are truly in a position of need they they can't help themselves that's why you want to help them so mm -hmm. i'm not trying to vir virtue signal but uh no you're not and that's uh, it goes back nobody's going to help them like one of my uh, favorite you know? uh you have to help them. one of my favorite uh puns on this podcast has been brought over from uh, the lacrosse world it's like you're only as strong as the weakest link so even if you're thinking of like a global hive mind and you are uh afforded some comfort and wealth as a part of the hive mind like you would like the world to sort of again like rising tide raise all boats you like to bring those people up to your level and make 
like the chain as strong as possible and you exactly. do that by yeah. by sharpening the the weakest links or making them stronger yeah because like if you don't subscribe to like this idea of like like i don't know evolutionary type of uh survival of the fittest then you think that like ah oh, no it's not the survival of the fittest that's why the, the the people who are weak, the ones who are actually at a disadvantage, something is going to work out for them. But no, you need to help them. You know, like if you are fitter than them, they are. If you are fitter, is a metaphor. Obviously, it's not about being fit. Uh, well, like if you want to get back to like a, a hunter and gatherer, like it was. Well, like yeah. Well, back then fit. it was fit. Now it's more probably more like being intelligent or yeah. whatever, yeah. or maybe being more adaptive. Because I think that's that's yeah. a very important very like adaptation. You know. Yeah. Especially in, a, especially in a world that's changing as exactly as it like, is today. If you if you can't adapt to you are just going to become I don't know an archetype that is no longer relevant. My mom's always calling me during these recordings. Mother, I'll get back to you later. Yeah. So to my previous point is that like every single group, every single <coughs> institution, the Fed, whatever, it's made up of self-motivated individuals who are even if let's say I don't know the Fed is going to. Uh, st- stands to lose from the adoption of Bitcoin, for example, the people that it is made up of, the individuals, they have the potential to, to massively benefit. gain from from the adoption of Bitcoin. You understand? Shout, so, out to, shout out to the fifth pillar. Let's make it happen. Yeah. <laughs> so you have to understand that it's all about the incentives. And mm-hmm. this is what I wrote about in my most recent, re- piece. recent piece called bitcoin incentive system or when the stars align and by the way before you get into this i must note uh for you freaks out there obviously can't see this audio recording uh the mamadav brothers are big note takers uh but i will say monsieur is a lot more neat and tidy with his notes uh has them has them with nice clips organized very well color-coded not qu- not quite color-coded <laughs> joking, but very organized i love it I don't know if it's a good thing. I just don't want to. I just have a lot to say, and I don't want to forget anything. That's no, it's a, I, like people who bring notes on this show. <coughs> tend, the conversations tend to be a little bit more heady, which I like. <laughs> so let's well, I hope this one ends up being one. I think I think people are gonna like your uh, your thoughts on Bitcoin in time. <laughs> um, so let's talk about Bitcoin's incentives. Yeah. So uh, somebody's calling me now. Turn it off. Uh, I think that what makes Bitcoin so uh, powerful is the alignment of incentives, the the structure, the way like Satoshi designed it. He he must have known quite a bit about human nature and the way we interact with each other to create all of these different uh, ways to incentivize uh, people within the Bitcoin community and outside the Bitcoin community to propagate and to basically uh, enable its inevitable success, Mm -hmm. which I believe is so. And like, I think apart from being a technological breakthrough, like maybe even more importantly, I mean, they all complement each other, of course, but more fundamentally, it is a psychological and a social phenomenon. Because I really like to think about like Bitcoin is able to leverage human greed. Like, you know, we're all in this for technology. We're all in this to make the world a better place. Yes, sure. Those, those are the, the outcomes that are going to result. Those are the consequences. Stack some sats though, baby. 
exactly like you know this is this is in the human nature like if it was just for the technology then i don't think that there would be so many people and so many eyes drawn to it i think that and there's nothing bad about it. like once again like money is not bad like people want, wanting to uh put themselves in a better financial position is normal and it's actually should be they they should they should definitely not be like ostracized or like pointed fingers at they should be these are good people who are trying to create value for others because this is what money is creating value and once again it's all about human greed because humans are greedy and it's not all about it but it's definitely a huge lever that in that incentive system is that a good thing though is greed good it's not good or bad it's just human that's mm-hmm. something i say all the time like stop trying to categorize things into like black or white nothing is like that you know right yeah it's humans are not some humans are good sometimes they're bad other times and plus what the hell is good or bad that's also subjective and very i'm going subjective. to talk about that later on because <laughs> it's also very important oh uh, freaks this might, morality. Be a th- this might be a three-hour ripper we've got really how, how long uh, is this i mean we've only checked off one and a half of of i think the six six box list right now. well how, how long have we been on this we're an hour and 15 and almost hour 10 well let's not uh Let's not uh, tire out our audience that much and try to... Uh, I think they'll listen to it no matter what. <laughs> Thank you. You're too kind, Marty. Uh, <clears throat> so, back coming back to greed. So, what Bitcoin does, it, it takes human greed and it turns it on its head. So, yes, greed makes people ha- do things that can be seen as evil, but Bitcoin makes sure... It takes, use, it takes advantage of that greed and ensures the integrity of the system. So this is like, that is just so, so incredibly new that they're able to, if you're going to spin zone greed, it's like, all right, let's spin it into creating <laughs> the securest monetary <laughs> system that the world has ever seen. Exactly. And I'm not going to get into all the incentives about like, I don't know, the hodlers and the miners and all that stuff. We all, we all know about that. But I think what's even more important is, uh, oh, by the way, you should definitely check out uh, another article by, Hugo Hugo Nguyen. Uh, it's called Bitcoin's Incentive Scheme and Rational Individual. Yeah, Hugo at Hugo Hanoi. Hanoi, yeah, on he's Twitter. A great guy. A, he has a great H U G O H A N O I. Right. Yep. Yep. Uh, All right, and yeah, I can't think right now. So, anyways, I'm not going to get into the all the all the technical and all the incentives within the system because we all talked about them a lot but i think what's also more important to think about is the incentives outside of the bitcoin community that propel bitcoin further so given the fact that bitcoin is a neutral money meaning that it's not affiliated with any one particular country it's not like a u.s project or it's not a chinese mining facility like you know it's everywhere in the world it's an internet project bro exactly it's open source it can be given that fact it can be argued that countries institutions and various people worldwide in the long run if they're smart of course they are disincentivized from banning or restricting bitcoin's use and development and why is that it is because given the fact that bitcoin is designed to exist and not only exist but also thrive in an adversarial environment a particular country say the united states stands to lose by banning bitcoin as the developers, the users, the companies, and everyone using and working on Bitcoin, which is an industry at the forefront of technological and economic innovation, all of these people would simply relocate to a more accommodating jurisdiction. 
And given the tense international relations and rivalry among the world's superpowers, like the US and China and etc., it is practically impossible to imagine that all of these countries would Turn cooperate together to dismantle Bitcoin with like some multinational coordinated attack against Bitcoin mining. Like, you know, why? Like, they, they've never done that. That would be unprecedented and they would never do that. Like, at least that's my, my belief. So the fact that, also, the idea, the fact that we were all, we were talking about a lot about the US dollar today. The fact that the US dollar, it has been the world's reserve currency for the last half a century, mm -hmm. if not more, gives the United States an unfair advantage over over the rest of the world because everyone every other country depends on the US monetary policy like so many countries hold and I think it's imperative to tie oil into this in particular so the petrodollar I yeah. think is a is a more apt description of what you're describing so like every country in the world needs to convert their native currency into US dollars to buy oil from Saudi Arabia and OPEC mm -hmm. right now so and oil is obviously <laughs> the go-to fuel choice for the world. Exactly. And U.S. is taking advantage of all of that to basically ensure that its claws are like very deep Inter inside the, syst yeah, the system. Yeah, we're getting a little vague on everything. Mm -hmm. If you're going to buy oil, you got to go through us. You know mm -hmm. Exactly. And so the idea is that many, I, I think that many countries, if not most of them, stand to gain from Bitcoin's adoption as that that adoption would remove their dependence on the US dollar and provide them with a very feasible alternative. And I think that it is likely that in, in the future that some nations are going to start adopting Bitcoin as a reserve currency. And the, the, what I just said, the value proposition that Bitcoin has as a alternative uh, global money store value will become increasingly clear. And to talk to talk about the incentives that exist outside of just like hodlers hodling and miners mining and <laughs> basically all right. that, yeah. It's uh, like what happens when the first central bank does announce that they're putting Bitcoin on their reserves? Do you think it incites a mad dash, or do you think? Yeah, I think it, w it will most likely have some kind of domino effect, like where others like, oh, God, we need to do this quickly too, you know. Right. Yeah, we, we don't want to be the, the the. Nobody wants to be the first. Nobody wants to be the last. So right as long on. as I'm interested to see who the wily central bank out there in the world is who doesn't even wait for a custodial fucking service and just buys a bunch of treasures, goes full Chad. I mean, maybe figures it out. We don't know. Maybe they're already doing it, like with mining. You know, they they, they can mine it, and people wouldn't know that they're like buying. Well, it's obvious that the Venezuelan <laughs> government is. I mean, it's, it's been proved. That I mean, yeah, yeah. They've confiscated sure. mining. Uh, mining hardware and used it themselves so there definitely is a government mining out there yeah so it does that but venezuela maybe that's not the first domino to follow maybe it needs to be like <laughs> <laughs> that domino yeah. is not very stable to fall in the first place <laughs> <laughs> okay i i'm sorry we shouldn't should laugh about this it's actually very tragic what's going on in venezuela and uh yes yes and i think that i hope that bitcoin will do its best to uh help relieve yeah. people from what what is going on there and from the from all all, all, the, all the tyranny yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I think we're moving towards that direction where Bitcoin can help whoever you are on the socio 
uh, economic hierarchy. It doesn't matter whether you are, I don't know, some some important person in the Fed, or if you are somebody who is, who is, uh, who has a lot of difficulty meeting, uh, just like getting by in the everyday life, like in Venezuela, they can still make take advantage of what Bitcoin gives them and basically better their their financial and just like human standing in 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 this in this point in time and later too. Yeah, I'm very optimistic. I'm very impressed by the uh sort of the strength of some of the Venezuelans, particularly in the Bitcoin community that are working hard to to make things better and make things as good as possible considering the situation. Absolutely. And just to be clear, like I w- I was saying uh, it's not a very good domino for other governments to follow. Like it's not palatable oh, yeah. for governments to follow Maduro down a path of of mining Bitcoin. Um, but I do think like Chiefy, shout out Chiefy. He has a Chiefy Nundum. He was on this podcast like a year, year mm-hmm. and a half yeah, ago. I remember that one. He went pretty dark, and I think he's been on a mission to convince some some African central African banks country, yeah. to think about maybe acquiring some Bitcoin. And I think that is a situation maybe where like a Ghana or uh, a Nigeria central uh, Zimbabwean central bank decides to put some some Bitcoin on their their balance sheet. I think that could be a good first domino to fall that would make people wake up and be like, "Oh shit!" Yeah, I mean the the risk reward uh, is just like so. It could like the risk is there. Is, of course, there's a risk. Of course, there's risk in anything, but the potential reward is just so huge that not allocating at least a small, like a very small percent of your uh, wealth into Bitcoin does increasingly become, to seem very rational. Because like, yeah. maybe, who knows, maybe in 10 years you'll you'll have to rebalance your portfolio <laughs> because now that makes 99% of what you have, you know? Right. Because th- that's, like, that's what happened to some people. When right. They did that. It's, uh, uh, again, I've been telling, again, like the, the asymmetry of the, the payoff to, to the loss at this point, at this particular juncture at a $70 billion market cap, $4,000 per BTC cost roughly. It's, uh, it's better than sports gambling and buying lottery tickets. I was at the bodega earlier. It's like people <laughs> yeah. at the bodega, especially down the street from me, it's like a very hot lottery bodega. Oh There's just like yeah. always people buying scratch-offs, scratching them, just like that's waiting in there for like 20 minutes like yeah, that's to like win. It's like I just always think like download the cash app instead of spending $20 on these scratch-offs, like just buy Bitcoin. But like that is evil. Right? You know, that's like the, the devil. Not in disguise. Oh, like the mom, devil, like, my mom plays the lottery face. and she knows it pisses me off. I'm like, Ma, please stop like The chances the are so small that you'll never win. So, yeah. For point? any of you freaks out there playing the lottery, please stop. And yeah. sports gambling. Just don't stop. Just stop. You're just burning money. Yeah. Burning absolutely. money. Your, your chan- chances of making a huge return by investing into Bitcoin are definitely, <laughs> absolutely <laughs> more promising like, yeah. than winning the lottery. <laughs> no question. <laughs> like I feel bad even making this parallel, <laughs> right? <laughs> Bitcoin is not sports betting is not even worthy of standing being mentioned in the same sentence as Bitcoin. No, but anyways, so if you're looking uh, to pay your bookie in a somewhat synonymous way, Bitcoin may be your uh, <laughs> maybe your option. Are they legalizing like a lot of? It's legalized here in New Jersey, York? I believe. New Jersey, believe yeah, everyone goes to New Jersey like during the yeah. during the games. I believe it's coming to the New York State soon. I would imagine that starts a domino effect too. So. <laughs> yeah. 
So another, uh, coming back to the article, I wrote about the incentives that are more more general in terms of like how to incentivize people to do things. And I think that we realize more and more time and again that time, haha, uh, that people, they are not willing to really change themselves, change the way they act, change the way they go about their life, get out of their comfort zone, what, what, whatever. Because they have little to gain from whatever you ask them to do. And that doesn't really create any meaningful results. But what, on the other hand, does is incentivizing these people, is creating aligned system of incentives where there's certain be, uh, there's certain intended behavior that you are seeking out from them is rewarded in a way that they value and in a way that they want to continue to act accordingly and like nowadays like i always hear like how people complain about like you know amazon is so evil or I don't know, this company is so evil, they are paying this much, they're not paying enough, they're, they should be doing this. And, like, you have to think that we all, like, every single person wants to, wants the best for everyone else. I mm -hmm. mean, there are, of course, there are people who, <laughs> who are evil. But, on a, like, I think on average, like, everyone would wish that the world would be a better place. But, like, that's not enough. And just wishing and hoping is definitely, like, you. The, the the world turns out very differently than what we want it to be. Don't tell the socialists that. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that once again, the human greeds, greed stands in the way of any decision, any desired change or any impact that we want to see happen in the world. And we need to understand that like oftentimes people have no choice but to forgo or give up on their quote unquote moral beliefs or quote unquote social responsibility in the face of financial and personal difficulties. Mm -hmm. So, like, most people are simply trying to, like, you really need to understand that, like, most of this world is just trying to get by, get by, earn dude. something, and provide for their families. That's it. Most of this country is paycheck to paycheck. Exactly. And even that, like, it's a stretch. Like, Exactly. And then walking, w walking around, like, blaming everyone for the fact that they are not doing something for the sake of something else. Like, sometimes you're just asking too much. Like, you know, these people are... They, they once again we all prioritize ourselves not because we're s selfish i mean we're all, we are selfish to some extent but it's because we're human if you don't do this then you are you're not going to survive yes exactly thank you <laughs> exactly <laughs> what i wanted to and most like yeah most people are just trying to get by and in the light of understanding this it becomes increasingly clear that people expecting people to get out of their way to do something for someone else is like counterintuitive, like you know, sometimes, like of course not always, but like, and at least it does, it will definitely not create sustainable results. So I like to think about the fact that like humanitarian and philanthropic efforts, they don't like scale very well. And yeah, like redistribution schemes that, like a lot of scams, dude, anything like a foundation or like, yeah, well, like the Red Cross turns out to like never get as much. Ninety percent of like the aid that went to Africa actually got like lost in like some bu bureaucratic. Yeah, or probably got spent on well, marketing or some shit. Like. Or just basically stolen. <laughs> yeah, that's actually very sad. Uh, and so basically, these humanitarian efforts don't scale, and 
the redistribution schemes that we were talking about, they're too vulnerable to some kind of like, you know, single points of failure. And like eventually human greed, I mean, human greed is the cause of all these, the reasons why it doesn't turn out the way we want it to be, finds its way to like somehow penetrate into that system and like make itself known. Like Captures it. Exactly. And I think that the biggest impact that anything can have and anything does have comes from aligned incentives and rewarding individuals for creative a positive change that you want to see and any change for that matter. Mm -hmm. So these are the systems that are scalable, the ones that include incentives, like a incentive system that actually works and that actually uh, rewards people for maintaining and acting in, in accordance with the rules. Uh, and they work, these, these, uh, these um, systems, because they don't depend on the finite on the finite sources of human compassion like humanitarian or philanthropic or like some kind of efforts that people are demanding you have to do this no you have to pay them higher wage no you have to spend this much on uh this i don't know social project well yes sure the thing is that like whenever you hear like i don't know the society like or not society just people screaming like Amazon, do this, uh, you have to, Jeff Bezos, you have to do spend your billions on these people or give, the, give it away. Like, what happens most of this time? Like, it gets allocated shittily. Like, it gets allocated shittily. So there was, I wrote about this in the bent, I think, believe it was last week. Like, especially with tax dollars, like the military industrial complex in particular is a fucking shining example of how wasteful and inefficient the government is with our tax dollars. A story came out in particular, that the government was buying face cream, face cream, moisturizer in small tubes, typically worth thirty dollars over the counter. They were paying, they were paying fourteen thousand dollars <laughs> per tube. They spent sixty-five million dollars on face cream and paid fourteen thousand dollars per tube for a thirty-dollar tube of face cream. Like that is where our tax money's going, and you have a growing call of socialism in this country, and a green new deal in this country, and a new infrastructure project in this company. And how can we honestly feel okay handing our money over to a system that is that terribly inefficient? They are paying 550 times the amount of the cost of the price, the face cream. Excuse me. For that is just incredibly. Hold it to your mouth. Yeah. yeah, like it's the fact that people don't understand that, like central planning. You thought you thought they overpaid by like one x. They overpaid <laughs> by five hundred and fifty x. You were like, oh, what would they pay? Like eighty. I thought I thought that was like too much. Maybe you it thought like it was like twenty percent. Like yeah, no, they paid fourteen thousand dollars for like a sixteen ounce tube of cream. Are you fucking kidding me? And people want to fucking take more tax money from no, people. No, but they're going to redistribute it to the people in the in, in need. I'm kidding. I uh, I hope they do, but like, it's not because once again, not because they're necessarily bad or good. It's because like humans are that way that they are going to, they are self motivated. They are going to prioritize themselves. They are going to be able to somehow sneak so into the system and somehow like take piece of the pie for themselves. And that's okay. But you need to understand. You need to come to terms with that and work from there. You can't just like hope that everyone is going to be infinitely compassionate and we're going to live in a happy exactly. world like it's it's okay it's Don't okay for dumb. people not to always be angels you know and 
well, coming back to like, no matter how much you scream at someone and tell them to pay a higher wage or give away their power, like they're not going to do that. Like what, what is going to happen is that like their PR team is going to launch a little campaign, make a minimal, minimal effort that only just to simply maintain the brand image. And that's it. Like, because why? Because such methods don't create meaning, meaningful results as the incentives are on the individual level. They're not aligned. They're one-sided. The individuals on one side stand to benefit, the ones who demand the change, while the individuals on the other side, they stand to lose. They have to give up much of what they're already so used to. Like, why the hell would they do that, right? You know, I'm not going to give up something. I'm speaking from them, their perspective. And Bitcoin is fundamentally different. Bitcoin has created this unique incentive system where the I incentives are aligned on both sides. And this, is, this comes back to the idea that adoption of Bitcoin has great potential to, to benefit all kinds of people on an individual level. Like, uh, like I said, like no matter where you are on the socioeconomic hierarchy, you are going to be better off. Mm -hmm. And that's amazing. Right. It's, it's like, it, the incentives. It's not a, it's like, it's not a fixed pie. Like this here, we are not dividing it. We're not redistributing. We're creating, we're creating it, you know, we're creating value. Right. And it's, why? I don't want to sound pompous here, but like, why is it so hard for people to understand that? Like, let's get into the, like people not understanding money, I guess, unless you're still got some, some time to go down this thought experiment. Yeah, no, just to, just to conclude with the incentives, I think what I wrote in the article in the end, I said, don't expect people to be good. Expect people to act in their own self-interest. And if everybody acts in their self-interest in a system of rules that rewards good behavior, then good behavior emerges naturally. So I think that is precisely what Bitcoin is doing. Mm -hmm. Instead of hoping and uh, demanding people to change and to be different, to go against their human nature in, in certain ways, it just... It doesn't try to denounce human nature. Instead, it embraces it and makes the best makes the best of it. It turns it on its head and ensures its integrity. And again, like maybe it's obvious to us because we've been in this for so long. But like, how do you think, or what is the the fastest course through which people can can come to this understanding and this realization? <sighs> Mm. Have you have you had many breakthroughs trying to uh, explain Bitcoin to no coiners? Or I think I'm in the process of of like getting closer to that breakthrough with a lot of people, and I think it takes time. And once again, I think it takes you can't just you can't just sit down one night and explain everything and have them and bring them on your side. No, you can't do that. You need a number of interactions. You need a certain number of. Um, like signals that you send them like they, they need to like you know how we always talk about how like the first time i saw i read about bitcoin in 2013 i was like oh, what, is, what is this scam then i read about it oh 2014 oh it's still around hmm interesting then 2015 oh it's rising in price blah 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 blah, blah. oh 2017 maybe i should freaking get into this because it doesn't seem to fail it just goes it's anti-fragile it's all of those good things like you know mm -hmm. and the more the mini the number the more the more times you get exposed to it, 
the more you're like, it's like listening to a song. Like the first time you listen, it sucks. Second time you listen, oh, it's okay. And then the third time, oh my God, I'm in love with the song. This is a banger, bruh. <laughs> <laughs> you know? No, so I know that feeling. Yeah. No. It no, doesn't no. seem to go away. And if something doesn't touches. go away, maybe you should pay attention to it. No, and that's something you talk about, like something I learned from the, the podcast uh, advertising game at Barstool and something like that when you're pitching advertisers. Like it takes multiple touches to get through yep. to consumers. And, and I think as Bitcoiners and as people try to explain and educate people uh, about this technology and, and this movement, I would call it, this revolution, this mission that we're on, I think uh, as a collective we should work to, to get the amount of touches needed to, to, to have a sort of aha moment when explaining to newbies, uh, needs to, we should target a, a very low number and try to decrease the number of touches as much as possible. Yeah. And, and I think that's been the mission of this bear market. Like you say, you find a lot of the signal through the noise when things quiet down and, and prices aren't as volatile as they were in 2017. And that's something in this bear market in particular that I don't really believe happened last bar, bear market, at least definitely not as uh, intensely as it is this time around is, is people really working on sharpening the narrative and, and streamlining the message through which people come to understand Bitcoin. Yeah, so I think the bear market is a great thing. The bear market allows you to accumulate more Bitcoin. <laughs> the Bitcoin allows you to learn about Bitcoin more and from better sources because it's not like, oh, it's not like crazy panicky uh, uh, atmos- uh, environment where everyone is just talking about it. It's not some anime character telling you what to trade and what to pump. And <laughs> <stuff like laughs> exactly, that. Exactly, yeah. You can just like, you can take your time once again. Like you remember with the savings, you can take your time and think about like what I should invest in and whether, and you you're, you have the time to inevitably have high, a higher level of conviction because if you study enough, if you study Bitcoin enough, then I'm almost certainly sure that you will be uh, convinced yeah yeah no and i think we're getting close man i think people i think people are starting to question there's a lot of uh a lot of macro events uh, not events themes a lot of macro themes sort of coalescing right now oh, that, yeah, are, sure. that are very much pushing people towards bitcoin i would argue they they may not know it the people that are being pushed towards it but uh, there are the events happening around the world, obviously populism, uh, hyperinflation in some countries like Venezuela, Argentina, uh, sort of nationalism, Brexit, the Euro yeah, having not, a lot it's of not just, It's not coming out of nowhere. Right. It, there are reasons why that is happening. People, exactly as you said, they might not be consciously aware of it, but like the social unconscious or like, I don't know, even on a deeper level, like they know that there's something wrong and they know that like this is unfair like what the hell why why am i why am i being paid less why am i why is my purchasing power decreases why like why am i being taxed more why yeah like how am i losing my per- purchasing power and getting taxed more every year at the same time like again whereas like the world that we live in is fundamentally like a like like when i when people discredit defla- like when they like attack deflation like deflation these spirals blah blah blah, blah. I See, that, that brings me back to like what i was saying earlier like is there a conspiracy like how can you honestly think deflation is bad how do you how can you Wait. think that the ability to buy more things with <laughs> yeah the and money that you've accrued is a bad thing the most important industry in this world technology is the most prime example of deflation mm, uh, working and creating value exactly yeah Two people created Instagram, a $4 billion company when it sold to Facebook. Like you have to understand that like people, uh, like if deflation were bad, then why would people be willing to buy an iPhone X 
S or whatever today over buying it next year because the next year is going to decrease in price and you will be able to buy it much cheaper. Like people are still willing to consume. It's not a problem of demand. I think it was Jeff Deist, the president of Mises Institute mm -hmm. on the Stefan Liveros podcast in the beginning of uh, January. He said that there's no problem with demand. You don't like you don't need to incentive you don't need to stimulate demand. There's always demand. Everyone wants bigger house. Everyone wants, wants more things, stuff. Right? It's not a problem with there's no problem with that. It's a problem of people's imaginations are infinite and exactly. imaginations so come be, with desires. You right? shouldn't be scared of deflation. Like it's fine. Like you are supposed to. Like as technology as we have better technology, we are supposed to be able to consume better things. We are supposed to become more efficient. We're supposed to become more productive and that's fine right and this brings me back to like is there like a fucking conspiracy like on the monetary level to like <sighs> hold back society hold back humanity to an extent once again i don't think there's like conspiracy i think that that's the way the things played out and that type of uh reality benefits certain people who are able to maintain well i mean not really quote, <laughs> anymore. Quote, maintain, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it might not be able to maintain it for much longer. Yeah, I don't fat think. Lady, I, I, I don't can, think the dollar is going to keep its purchasing power. I can hear the, I can <laughs> that hear the, I think I can hear the fat lady warming up in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> I think she's working those vocals right now, going through, going through uh, the bars. Yeah, so I think it's not necessarily conspiracy. It's just that like that's the way things played out, and they benefit certain people at the cost of other people and nobody really wants to change anything or at least those who do are unable to but we'll see from now on yeah and yeah so where were we where were we before we were just we were just riffing there yeah but so like talking about like is there a conspiracy an immoral conspiracy or whatever like positing that question obviously you don't think it's conspiracy you think it's more Cunningham's Law is it Cunningham's Law or Awesome's Razor Occam's razor. That's what it is. Um, speaking of that, like Bitcoin, let's get into this. Like Bitcoin is just software. And is it amoral or is there a moral argument to be made Great. for, for thank Bitcoin? Thank you. Well? Thank you for that perfect uh, segue. You're welcome. I'm king of segues <laughs> here. <laughs> so, yeah. So I think that morality is definitely something that it is, has definitely been a, a recurring theme uh, through this this episode for uh, for us but I, I think morality is something that people are always concerned with and they always make these value judgments and try to say like oh, this is moral no this is immoral like you know but I'm going you let, I'm going to let you in on a little secret I don't think that Bitcoin is either moral or immoral it is amoral which is different and people always confuse the word words immoral with amoral, amoral yeah immoral means that something does not conform to accepted standards of morality, whereas amoral means that something is in. unconcerned with the rightness or the wrongness or the nature of of that. Morality is exactly. derived uh, on a layer above that. Exactly. That amoral layer. And I think this is the beauty of Bitcoin, that it's not moral, it's immoral, it's unconcerned, it's amoral. And... The people who use it are immoral or amoral, or excuse me, immoral or moral. And probably some people, if they were to listen to this, they'd be like, what, what, what do you mean? If it's immoral, if it's, if it's not moral, then why is it good, right? But you have to understand that what is considered moral today 
is considered immoral tomorrow and vice versa. And this happens all the time throughout human history. We all People are very, very prone to changing their um, opinions and minds and traditions about different things. And like, I'm sure there are, other, there are things that we do today in our daily life that would be deemed just absolutely horrendous and inappropriate several maybe several decades ago even let alone 100 centuries and there's going to be stuff that we gay marriage bro i know yeah exactly like that's ridiculous to think about that i mean still but anyways the point is that uh, the the point is that we change and nobody nobody is constant and this idea of morality it also changes it's very very uh, prone to being subject to trends so you can't really like say bitcoin is moral because if bitcoin is moral today probably tomorrow somebody's gonna come out and say hey, this is immoral man like we've changed and this no longer fits our understanding of reality it depends what your hashtag flavor of the week is you exactly know? yes you can't you know and just, you, just a few you, weeks uh, people were, were coming to the fence at jesse smollett and there's a lot of uh, a lot of crickets on twitter uh, yeah that's, that's a great example i, I mean I, I don't try to uh, really delve into. We that. don't need to delve into that. If you guys want to delve into that, I but highly recommend going and finding the Charles Barkley clip from uh, TNT basketball last night uh, during the halftime show and his comments on the situation. Some of the funniest comedy I've seen in a long time. <laughs> and that, that's all we have to say about that. Yeah, but I, I think it's a good example of just like looking at events like that. It's a good example to be able to understand how fickle the reality. Right. is and how like how well, today today how reality can be manufactured exactly it, like like what i like to say is that like you know he who, who he or she or they whoever uh who is powerful is the one who is able to manipulate the truth because the truth is not absolute absolute the truth is always subject to to the trends to context the, exactly to yeah and if you can manipulate the truth then you you got it <laughs> right. but Exactly. That's when, that's when we come to Bitcoin. Bitcoin minimizes the ability to manipulate this truth. Anyways, uh, so as I was saying, uh, Bitcoin is just software. It's not concerned with morality. It's And being concerned with morality isn't necessarily good because we, as we just established, morality is always changing. And to you, morality is super subjective. Like somebody might think this is moral. I might think this is immoral. Like, you know, it, and it doesn't matter. Right. Like, you know, you, no, want, you want a tool that both of you can use regardless of, of what you view as moral or immoral exactly like i mean with the internet i mean this has been said many times like the first uses of the internet were porn i don't know them uh drug dealers or whatever i don't know but and people back in the 90s they would say like no we're never going to use something that like i don't know porn websites use for or, but now we see that everything has changed and porn only makes up a very small very tiny percent of what internet is all about you know right in, in for for those who try to discredit bitcoin by saying oh no this drug dealer used bitcoin once yeah okay money launders e more more drug dealers are definitely using dollars the most most drug dealers and most uh and criminals hey, in the world are using dollars and hey like, for you freaks out there who are not aware hsbc has been fined in the past for creating Specific teller windows fashioned in a certain way so Mexican drug lords could launder cash in briefcases through a traditional banking system. So why don't you hear like, more about that type of stuff? Well, you, you don't you don't hear much about that type of stuff. No, you, you know? never like, hear about it. Like, yeah, you, you don't hear about UBS got fined this week four billion dollars, I believe, for money laundering. Uh, nobody's 
going to UBS's headquarters and threatening to shut them down or or telling governments to shut them down. Oh yeah, no, because there are there are a lot of more important things, and there are more important things, but definitely not the ones that are being publicized more than the events where billions of dollars. Like. Right. So it's like a false equivalency, and that that's why I'm so optimistic about Bitcoin. It's like, all right, these are like your biggest arguments, and like. And Jamie Dimon screaming about this shit as the <laughs> system that he works within <laughs> is is enabling it tenfold. It's like, all right, like it works for you, so it will probably work for us too in the future. So, oh man, I love Bitcoin. Um, so the point is that Bitcoin is amoral, which allows it to no, it doesn't allow anything. It's just like Bitcoin is. As they say, Bitcoin isn't, that's enough. So Bitcoin doesn't make value judgments. Bitcoin doesn't discriminate because it cannot. It's just software that is has like is a consensus of of this of all these different people around the world that you cannot really change in your favor, you know? And unlike the traditional system that we live in that we operate in today, Bitcoin is not partial towards anyone. Bitcoin is not malleable. And it cannot be interpreted in a certain way to benefit one party or another party, like law often is. Like you can't hire a more expensive lawyer who has a good team of other lawyers who are going to basically make sure that your uh, you are going to win in court. That's not going to happen. Like yeah, it comes code down is to law, and that's when when Ethereum uh, did the the DAO fork. The DAO fork. That's when they lost all the credibility, and they can never that's ever recover from that. I was actually. I don't think I've ever admitted this on this podcast, but I was an Ethereum bull until the DAO fork. I was like, all right, you just completely shot yourself in the. How foot is that there. different from what? we work with today i mean how's it like this is this is the same thing people just change whatever they don't like and that's it but no that's see that's how truth is so subjective so like ethereum ethereum classic is the real ethereum <laughs> like you know right? what the hell it is the original train like yeah if, if i were to set up ethereum a node, is the bitcoin cash <laughs> <laughs> is it bitcoin sv now how many times <laughs> they fork since <laughs> right? and it's like all right, let's let's have a little tangent riff on Ethereum here. Like, dude, they're transitioning to 2.0. Like, you want to talk about like propaganda and Orwellian word speak? Ethereum has basically admitted that the first iteration of their project is a complete and utter failure. Like, they had to create a whole new chain to make their vision practical. And on top of that, it's apparently like I've read the specs. Like, it's a 10 phase. <laughs> process that may happen or excuse me a seven phase process that may happen over the course of 10 years compound the probabilities of that and see how successful yes, that especially like it's like all right we have phase one figured out we have phase two figured out and we have parts of phase three figured out but we'll figure out the rest of the four and a half phases going we'll just forward. wing it we're gonna <laughs> wing it it's like are you fucking kidding me like but like sometimes i feel like i'm taking crazy pills people are still standing by like saying that it's legitimate it's decentralized it's successful it's useful it has utility and is their maker doubt really worth that much i don't know like to be honest i don't i i try to keep an open mind but throughout time i do i have decreased the amount of time that i spend like looking and learning about other projects because like i realize that more and more that there aren't there there aren't that many things except for Bitcoin that are actually worthy of 
my or anyone else's time really yeah and yeah there might be some kind of projects that are interesting and that might that might uh i, I don't think that like i don't know i don't think like all altcoins are scams per se but most of them are either very very uh disil- disillusioned and they are unable to really get a grip with reality and that's why they're going somewhere they don't know where and they hope that it's going to work out but i don't think that if we're trying to build a global financial rebuild the global financial system we can't like we can't have can't fucking wing it on yeah the go. that's not going to work right that's what draws me to bitcoin and why i tend to focus on bitcoin in particular and the bent and on this podcast is because it feels like it's a project that works and it's basically like a stone where you're basically carving the michelangelo or excuse me carving the david out of it um yeah and just that's, that's basically cool tightening and refining it and you're not sort of figuring out what the stone is that you're going to eventually carve the david into <laughs> we've already started we're a decade in and just perfecting it at this point <laughs> I, I like that metaphor <laughs> Um, so as I was as I as I was saying, like Bitcoin is fundamentally different from the world that we live in today because it's uh, it is not malleable in the same way that the current system is. Like the law is uh, is malleable. Like if you have the best lawyer, then chances are you're gonna win the you're gonna win the co- in the court, you know. And there's no there's no leeway. There's no room for interpretation. There's no malleability. All these things create massive vulnerabilities. And create massive like single points of failure that Bitcoin does best to eliminate. Mm-hmm. Which it's is messaging protocol. It's like, hey, yeah. you sent this at this time. And yeah. Now it sits here, and if you have this private key, you can move this UTXO. Yeah. Uh, is that too simple? Or is no, it I think Bitcoin is. Uh, I think Murad says this, and Vortex says this all the time. Uh, Bitcoin is just. It's. I mean. Not exactly, but you should think of it as an Excel spreadsheet with a strictly limited number of rows and columns. Mm-hmm. Like It's like basically like Manhattan real estate, but unlike Manhattan real estate, they can vertically basically go up and increase the number of apartments or whatever. It's quasi two-dimensional. Yeah, it's quasi two-dimensional. That's awesome. Yeah, and if you want to have access, if you want to own a uh, cell in this Excel spreadsheet, then you'll have to pay that premium. Mm-hmm. You can't, exp- that it cannot be expanded beyond 21 million. And that's it. Like, because money, like you have to understand what money is. Like, once again, I, I had this uh, tweet the other day that said, if you don't have a deep understanding of what money is, functions of money, monetary history, money properties that fulfill its various functions, then don't you dare to criticize Bitcoin. And who the hell are you? Like, who are right? you? How are you an authority to tell people me why so Bitcoin quick. is bad or good? So, peop- so people are so quick. Bitcoin is bad. Right? <laughs> wait, 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 do you know what Bitcoin is? Uh, no, but I know its price. <laughs> it's crazy. Like, people, most people, 99% of the people, they don't know what Bitcoin is. And they have never heard of what Bitcoin is. Mean, maybe they have, but they don't know what Bitcoin is. They only know what its price is. 
even the ones who say that, oh, I know Bitcoin. No, you don't know Bitcoin. You only know that it's 3,800 and it lost 84% of its value since its all-time high, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, that's not the point. You don't understand the value proposition. Then if you don't understand what Bitcoin is, how can you even know what it should be worth? It, right? Exactly. How, how can you attempt to critique it? Or, or to uh, value it? How can you do that? You that, can't. That's my favorite, uh, favorite troll to the no-coiners on Twitter. Shout out Adam Singer, David Gerard. Just be like, all right, how does Bitcoin work? Have you ever downloaded a wallet, used a private key? Like, explain how Bitcoin works to me and why you hate it, and 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 how. try to come at me with like reasoned debate about why Bitcoin working the way it does is bad or good for society. And nine times out of ten, it's like, oh, well, like no, like no clear answer. Like nobody can do it. Like nobody puts in the effort to understand what they're critiquing and. And that's the funny thing, like I find about like Bitcoiners debating. Like, like I got, I got in, like a little debate with like a Finnish economist, like the, <laughs> with, from the bank, uh, the Central Bank of Finland today on Twitter. Like, I got it. There's so many economists, right? But it's like that's where I think we're also advantages of Bitcoiners. I think we like, especially you and I in particular, where we had the fortune of studying economics in college and really understanding like the belly of the monster that we're trying to destroy and like the not trying to destroy, but trying to replace and for good reasons, not for anything evil or anything. we honestly think this is a better system, but we understand both more innately than they, they only understand one side. And it's like, that gives me comfort in knowing that like, all right, I've actually done my homework and you haven't. Yeah, and exactly. It's, it, it, that's, and again, talking about the asymmetry of the potential returns, like this information asymmetry, like still exists. Like there's a huge chasm between people who've actually studied traditional economics and Bitcoin and trying to see where Bitcoin fits into a world of economics. And if you, I do believe, like if you understand, I could be wrong. We could be wrong. We concede that. But if you do believe that you truly understand both, it becomes obvious that Bitcoin is the natural progression of money, especially as we move into the information age, exactly, into like the, the digital internet. age. There's no, like, there's nothing, like, it's a no-brainer if you yeah. understand the trend that we're on right now. Yeah, I wrote the other day, uh, internet allowed you to never have to go to the library, and mm -hmm. Bitcoin will allow you to never have to go to the bank. As simple as that. Saw somebody try to steal that tweet. Uh, don't, don't, don't get me started. All right, we won't. <laughs> we won't get into it. The, 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 the amount of people that steal like content your content on twitter it's just ridiculous i don't understand like why people do that and they don't even they don't you should even be flattered you should be flattered oh yeah i guess but like to be honest, no like this time it was a like a it was like a uh respectable respectable uh account that did it before <laughs> yeah before it was just random people but anyways i i, I don't i don't hold grudge <laughs> <laughs> anyways uh as i was saying you were talking about the traditional, like how we are fortunate enough to have an education in economics and understand some parts of it. But to be honest, like I feel like the traditional system, like traditional academia, uh, especially like with regards to economics, it doesn't really teach you everything that you need to know. No, I'm not saying like it's good knowledge. You know, I'm saying it's good to know when you're debating these people, like their premise and where they're coming from. Oh, it's oh yeah. easier Absolutely. to understand. Yeah, like, yeah, like I, I definitely agree with that. With debate. Like, hey, I fucking studied this. I know exactly what you're talking about. And yeah. This is and you're disregarding so much. Yes, exactly. You're just like, 
You're disregarding so many schools of thought, so many years of research, so many uh, piles of data and evidence. It's just funny, like you know, right? Is the cognitive like? It's been another theme on this podcast. The <coughs> cognitive dissonance that exists in the world in all aspects of life is mind blowing. Like it worries me. Like <coughs> cognitive dissonance is synonymous with detachment from reality, and it's like I just want people to get closer to reality. Like, yes. The reality, especially our debt situation in the world, may be shit. It may be pretty dire, but like, let's just acknowledge it and try to figure out how to fix it. And that's why we have this podcast. That's why I write the bent. That's why you tweet. That's why you write. Like, we think Bitcoin is a solution to this overarching problem that's causing people to put their heads in the sand. And it's like, all right, let's sit our heads out of the sand and have a, like a reasoned debate. The solution may exist. We're we're working on building out the infrastructure to make it happen, and anybody can participate. We're looking for help. If you're down for the cause, let's make it happen. It's, it's it's amazing how open this is like come come join like you know right you're not restricted i'm not the boss here there's no ceo who is going to be like <laughs> right who is going to interview you <laughs> no who 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 may know your father who went who went to the same frat as he did and now he's going to get you in you know in the be- bitcoin be- because because he, they they were friends and now you have the connection no it's just because if you can contribute if you want to contribute if you are if you are on board Will with this able. If you are willing and able, Bitcoin is there for you to help out. Yeah. And the mission is clear. Like, we're here. And regardless of whether you're doing that, it will still help you in exactly. the end. Exactly. It's like a merciless force. <laughs> 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 you will submit to the will of Bitcoin. Wait, no, no, not merciless. I'm sorry. It's merciful. It's actually, even if, yes. you, even if, you, even if you hate it. Even if the Bitcoiners no spewing against yeah. it, it's going to help your life in it's the gonna, long run. It's going to make you better off in the end. Yeah, even though sorry. we don't like you, Bitcoin doesn't. Sorry, Bitcoin. Fun. You're merciful, not merciless. That's definitely <laughs> not what I was supposed to say. But also, it's merciless and it's going to not let anyone stand in its way. So, it's both. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> So yeah, so with regards to the ed- traditional ac- acad- uh, academia and the education, like, like you don't really get to learn much about uh, the unorthodox, so to speak, quote unquote, quote, unquote. That's schools like, of thought of like in economics in economics. So I read about this in the back. Like, think about like how crazy, like the fact that it's not so obvious that it is crazy that uh, economics at most universities. I can't speak. They to don't it. even say anything. They about don't even preach it. Like, so you're supposed to, like if you like think about the concept of majoring in a subject and going to master that subject. You at least have to know like you should know the whole spectrum types of, of ideas, the there, schools right? of thoughts at least. Exactly. But no, you're like literally confined and siloed to this one school of thought. Yeah, you exactly. get a degree that says, "Hey, I mastered the subject," but really, you didn't. You mastered one school of thought in a <laughs> in a subject that's been growing for thousands of years. Yeah, like in psychology, you got Freudian, you got Gestalt, you've got I don't know Jungian. Mm-hmm. You look at every different one. You take the best from each because none of them are actually like absolute Perfect. truth. Yeah. But here now, we're just we're just Keynesians. That's all. Right. But nobody. And don't you dare talk about the, those Austrians. Oh those, my gosh! Don't. One time Austrians. I had a presentation <laughs> and I had a. Uh, I had some slides with like zero hedge data, like zero hedge pulled some slides from the Fed research and I just screenshotted, attributed it to them, but like got yelled at by a professor, like, don't use that like propaganda site. Like, what? No. It's like, are you kidding me? Like, like that's how like, and this was back when zero hedge was pure, like back in like 2010, 2011, like when they were like fresh off uh, the financial crisis and really like data driven and not fear mongering as hard as they are now. Definitely fear mongering a little bit, but like, it was more data driven back in that day, and yet it, uh, it was data. Don't that you use it? Don't you? Don't you dare, Marty? <laughs> right? Why? Because it doesn't fit your narrative. Exactly. Much. Exactly. Huh? 
So yeah, so unfortunately, you kind of have to make your own way into the uh, rabbit hole of Austrian economics. I mean, of course, it's driven by Bitcoin, but yeah, to be honest, like most of the Austrian econ that I've learned about was on my own, like reading books or yeah, on the internet. Or Mises, like I got into Austrian economics in college again, via zero hedge, like sharing Mises.org. Yeah, articles no, that were it's written. an amazing course. Like, there's so many the, the amount of resources that are available for free. It's crazy. Like, you don't need to buy anything. There's so many books and articles. Right. Yeah. It's um. No, I mean, go read your Guido Holzman. He's so pure, and listen to his his talks. He's given plenty of talks on YouTube. We're lucky. Oh yeah, no, they're we're lucky. So he's still young. He's still like in his 40s or early 50s, I believe. Yeah. Um, and and a great economic thinker. Like your profile picture. Is one of my favorite books on economics that I read <laughs> like the last three years. The, the ethics sure. and money production. Go read effect. like on the ethics pro- money production. I literally have the three pages like embedded in my head, like from page seventy to seventy-two. He just perfectly describes like the the inefficient capital allocation that happens in a, exactly. a, an easy monetary regime. Because the price signals is exactly. are distorted, and exactly. when the price signals are distorted, then clearly you're going to have inefficiencies. Clearly you're you're going to have misallocation of resources. It's like uh, back in the Soviet Union, um, when the central planning committees, they were trying to uh, make sure, they were trying to enforce these rules that a uh, a loaf of bread is supposed to be one ruble wherever, be it in the very uh, farthermost uh, eastern point of Soviet Union, which is like Vladivostok, which is literally near Japan. Mm-hmm. Or... In Kaliningrad, which is uh, which is literally like Poland or like no Germany, like near Germany, I think, which is crazy. Different populations, different, different populations, needs. different cultures, different everything, different economies, different resources. So different this highlights uh, actually like a and they, so sorry sorry for interrupting. So they wanted to everywhere be one ruble. That is impossible. It's clearly going to be mispriced, and that leads to deficit all like almost all the time. And that's what was the case. Like people had to have some kind of tickets for famous bread lines maybe. yeah exactly and all the shops were empty and that doesn't no, this, work and this actually and like even like uh on a smaller microcosm and disaster scenarios where people fight for like price fixing like during hurricane like after a hurricane if like mm-hmm. uh, a neighborhood's flooded and uh what you'll see is like literally natural capitalistic things happen like people aren't gonna be able to get water or food into the city uh while there's a disaster going on so you have prices for these goods uh, sort of skyrocket, especially if like you have looting going on and people get like a bunch of all the water, like they're going to start gouging people for it. And a lot of people would argue that like we need like civil price fixing during these times, but uh, like you need to let these these price discovery uh, mechanisms play out in in these scenarios as well, uh, which is which is a highly debated and, and interesting topic to think about in that little microcosm. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> you got thoughts? Do you agree with that? Do you not agree with that? I think that the markets are most efficient when they are uh, left to their own devices. Mm-hmm. And like capitalism always wins. You have to understand that. And once again, like capitalism, like in the Soviet Union, the word capitalism was uh, 
was equivalent to like the the worst curse. The like N-word. you're a capitalist. <gasps> That's like worse than being the bi- the b- largest, the biggest offender, like criminal, which is like clearly, yeah. Of course, there's propaganda. Yeah. Uh, but, and, but Soviet as we have we've seen Soviet Union doesn't exist anymore. So. That system didn't prove to be very efficient at allocating resources or doing anything else for that matter. So let's jump <coughs> into this. Uh, you're a native of a post-Soviet country. Mm-hmm. What was it like growing up in Azerbaijan? Like, how has Azerbaijan changed throughout your lifetime, throughout your parents' <sighs> lifetime? What Azerbaijan, can you say as somebody from, from the Soviet bloc? I think Azerbaijan changed definitely for the better after, uh, after leaving, I mean, after the... Um, Soviet Union no longer existed because it uh, was able to like back in the Soviet times like every single republic every single country that was part of the Soviet Union they they basically had to like answer to Moscow so whatever Moscow says that has to be done and that really I think strips the little republic little country anything any culture of neuters them right yeah uh, of their independence of their ability to uh evolve as as a as a people and that really tries to tries it like creates this like form of mimicry that everyone's trying to be like like these guys mm-hmm. but why should we be like these guys we have our own traditions we have our own culture you can't just come and just say like you're going to live by our rules and like Soviet Union has been like basically seventy years of uh involuntary absolutely involuntary uh just takeover of all these exactly of all these countries that have their own cultures, that have their own values that are different. So what are the and values of Azerbaijan? The values of Azerbaijan? It's I think very Am I pronouncing that okay? Azerbaijan. Azerbaijan. Yeah. Uh Is I that like insulting. I'm sorry if I'm being. <laughs> it's it's Azerbaijan. Azerbaijan. <laughs> you won't forget it now. <laughs> it's my Philly accent coming up. Uh, I think Azerbaijan. It's uh, part of the Caucasus. So yeah, I mean, this is funny when everyone says I'm a Caucasian uh, in in America, <laughs> and I'm like, really? <laughs> no, you're. I don't even know what that everyone's going Caucas- to the Caucasus. Like, I don't yeah. even know what that means. Caucasus is like this area uh, in the Caucasus Mountains, like near the Caucasus Mountains. It spans like a couple of countries. Azerbaijan. Uh, Georgia, some republics in Russia, like Dagestan, like some of these, and that, that's that's what Caucasus is. And uh, I never knew that. Yeah, never knew that's where Caucasian came from. Yeah, that, I mean, yeah, that, that's it. <laughs> I've been forced <laughs> to uh, to Caucasian check off Caucasian white. my whole life. I have no <laughs> idea what it fucking means. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so I think that whole region and Azerbaijan, it's very the values are really like familial values. Everyone. Uh, pays uh respects to like elders their families I miss and that's that. that's not, I, I never really had a culture shock because i was to a large extent exposed to like western culture since childhood uh but that's something that i feel dif- is different here in the united states and in m- much of the many western countries is that like people the connection between like within families is not always very like close you know like Sometimes you can a child can be kicked out of the house at when they when they hit when they are of age or There's no concept of the wayward son that's allowed to come back to open arms. Yeah, I mean, of course, it's it all depends on on people. Every person is different, yes. but like 
or like the elderly homes are definitely not as common in our in like our uh, region because like people like you have to you have to respect your parents and have them when they are when they are in in when they are become uh they they need somebody to take care of them they come live with you or you i don't know you provide for them you take care of them so that is that is a difference and like that is very like very that's at the core of that kind of culture like nah. family values no nah, i agree and i respect the fuck out of that and as somebody who's been lucky enough to have i mean i, mean, I don't want to say lucky that i've had three grandparents pass but lucky that i've had grief three grandparents that were able to live um sort of independently into their, never lived in a home and sort of lived with their spouses and, and their families throughout their lives and then particularly like towards the end of their lives, especially the tail end of their lives, uh, instead of dying in a hospital, all three of my grandparents up to this point have died on hospice, which is actually like a very powerful, powerful thing, like being able to be there during their, their last days and be with them in your own home or their home. Uh, there's something something to be said about that, about being there and, and, and sort Definitely. of being at the, the core of where they're, family started i'm getting emotional now like uh you know like in their passing own away alone is definitely one of the saddest probably things yeah one can experience no but it's something i i hope in my family at least that tradition carries on yeah that, that well that's why i think you have to really try your best to garner and to uh cultivate these these values within your own family like you know you care you you remember when whose birth birthday is you remember to call i don't know your parents yeah. almost every every day you can you know, it's, it doesn't become just some kind of a... Yeah, Mom, I'm sorry for ignoring your call. We're recording, though. Right. <laughs> I can't, can't interrupt the call with a call from Mom. The recording with a call from Mom. No, but I think it, it is important. It's it's a bit taboo today, too, to, to talk about, like, a secure family in America oh, yeah. in particular. Yeah, no, like, there's definitely, like, some kind of shift in that sense. Like, right. Like like family like values are now the counterculture. Right? <laughs> no, exactly. And this... Uh, and we were talking about Netflix earlier and like people Short going on spans. Netflix, but th- it's not even that, but like even the programming on Netflix, a lot of the shows are like a bunch of 30 somethings just w- wandering aimlessly through, through life, like not wanting to have kids, polyamorously living, doing drugs, like <laughs> fucking everybody. And it's like, it seems we are losing that family connection. No, I think, I think, uh, of course it's not for everyone. I'm not saying that a person who, the family, like having a family is, is a good thing, but, it's not like a prerequisite for life. That some people are happy on their own, and that's that's completely fine. Completely fine, of course. Uh, but I think that if you can, then I think at some age, it's probably kind of like it's nice, and it puts you, sets you on some kind of track. Like if, maybe if you're like 35, maybe you should think about maybe settling down. I mean, as opposed to maybe. Actually, like I, I can't say anything because like everyone has makes their own choices and decisions. I think I, I want to have a family at some point. I definitely <laughs> have a family too. And that's actually my wife and I were we're gonna move closer to our families soon, and we just feel like a need to be closer to like our parents. And that's pretty nice. Like, yeah, yeah. Well, being closest. Yeah, it, not that we're that far, but like. <laughs> yeah, that's no, interesting. All right, and that was getting emotional. In Tales from the Crypt. I love it. <laughs> Cosmic, <laughs> emotional, anything, <laughs> whatever you ask. Right. <laughs> We got it. <laughs> um, let's see. So, like, in, no, this is uh, all right. This is a Bitcoin podcast. Let's tie Bitcoin into it. Like, that's why I'm in a Bitcoin is thinking about 
future generations and actually the concept of family and, and generational thinking and, and global thinking is something I'm very fascinated about. One concept in particular that fascinates the shit out of me that I think we should adopt as a society is the uh, the Iroquois Nation concept of a se- seven generation thinking. So like thinking seven generations ahead, mm-hmm. thinking about the people your offspring and ancestors that don't even exist yet. And yeah, the, 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 not, they can't yeah. even call them ancestors. They're predecessors that don't even exist yet. Like, <laughs> uh, uh, and so that's what Bitcoin has helped me to like, I don't want to get cheesy here, but like, I do think about like, all right, I want to put some Bitcoin in time lock contracts that like my ancestor, my predecessors can access at some point in the future. That's, that's a really cool idea. And like thinking seven generations ahead and like lowering time preference and, and thinking about that. Exactly. That's to make sure that Bitcoin f- has me thinking about like, all right, I could fucking potentially leave like a tenth of a Bitcoin here for somebody a hundred years from now. Like, yeah. So your family like gets by, you know? Yeah, exactly. And because it's, I probably would have never thought about doing like fucking burying cash in the backyard for somebody who lived on my land like <laughs> thousands of years ago. That's <laughs> very <laughs> impractical. Right? <laughs> yeah. No, but it's, it's teaches how you changes your mental model and how you think about these things, and and maybe it does incentivize like a, a better, more efficient, more happy humanity. Yeah, you know, there's a I feel like there's a cultural paradigm shift that's going on. Like, and you start to really think, oh, do I really want to buy some material good? Do I need a car? Do I need this? Maybe I should just like save this for the future. Right. Yeah. For sure. <sighs> Mysterious. It's been incredible. What are we going to next? We have... Let me see what we have on the list. Uh, we already talked about Bitcoin is just software. Have we touched on people don't... We've touched on people don't understand money enough. Yep. Uh, Bitcoin appeals to everybody. I think this is... This is. I think this is something that... I think this is the last topic that yeah. we cover. So Bitcoin appeals to everybody. That's like people try to portray this vision of Bitcoin yeah. as a strictly... Libertarian, libertarian, conservative, uh, conservative, uh, right yeah. wing, far right. Oh God, technology. Please. How does it appeal to everybody? Spare me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, I can't spare you. We have to, we have to dive into I'm not talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking to the archetype. Um, so I think it's lack lack of education, and there's always going to be people who are ignorant, and who are always going to be trying to be vocal. Uh, despite the fact that they lack the necessary basic knowledge to uh, know better. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that if we... So Bitcoin is is a beautiful thing because you can... It has the ability to appeal, to have a universal appeal. It has the ability to uh, make sense and and be... uh, be seen as something positive by very different type of people mm-hmm. very different types of people so i really think that it doesn't matter if you're a conservative progressive republican Demo- democrat rich or poor and we've already talked about the rich and poor mm-hmm. and how they are both able to benefit it doesn't matter where you stand on the hierarchy uh some will say that bitcoin is ideological it is uh it is like Austrian econ is libertarian. And perhaps, but it is ideological. It's a it's a grassroots movement and like grassroots movements always need some kind of ideology, especially in the beginning, until it just becomes like like sooner or later Bitcoin is just going to become oh thing. so what? 
Bitcoin. Yeah. yeah, we all use it. Now what? Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's now it's so exciting because like we are at the forefront of this. We are at the very, uh, at the, uh, at the stem of this cultural uh, shift. But soon, I mean soon, within the next dec- within the next century, I think Bitcoin is going to be an everyday thing. Like it's, yeah, I used money. I used Bitcoin. Duh. But, <coughs> so I don't think that like we should really think that Bitcoin is like purely libertarian, purely this, purely that. It's not. It, it is, it's on board with just like making the world fairer, better, more efficient, and just you know progressing the world further and that's where we are supposed to be going i i I think uh right maybe i'm getting something wrong but (laughs) 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 pretty sure i'm not so the chances are that when you are like it's i i had this one post where i talked about how it's important to talk the way you talk about uh bitcoin and you should always think like when you're trying to when you're talking to a no coiner think how you're approaching it how you're approaching what it. what their yeah. understanding exactly is. Well, what they care what they care what they care about yes because bitcoin has the ability to uh cater to all kinds of different needs and i'm not trying to be like deceiving here or snake oil fix, here like, or yeah, yeah i'm not trying to be like ah, i'm gonna get you by this by talking about this thing. no i'm just saying that bitcoin is so broad so broad and has the potential to impact the world in a positive way in so many different ways that different people care about those different things so and you should talk about those things that they care about because like people want to listen to what the things that they that matter to them and chances are that the person that you are talking to the no coin not the no coiner but even the person who just doesn't care or doesn't know he they are not and they're not passionate about any of these ideas like they're not libertarian they're not austrian econ uh head or like they don't care they're just uh they're just essentially misinformed and intentionally or or unintentionally misinformed about a lot of like the economic processes and topics that relate to bitcoin and therefore you should be extremely careful with your choice of words sometimes i mean once again like (laughs) as i said like bitcoin is still going to Still going to win. Yeah, it doesn't matter, but, but this again, is going to accelerate it probably. Yes, you know? and going and going back to the concept. Doesn't matter of where they get going it back to the it. concept of dec- decreasing the amount of touches needed to yeah exactly to reach that. an aha. We're moment. just optimizing that acceleration, you know. Exactly. So so being able to to diagnose how somebody may come to understand it in a different way than another person may is is important to decreasing the amount of touches. You know? Yeah, but it's just like it's just so sad when you hear like all these like either mass media or like these even people who you would think who should know better they're like oh, this is evil this is this is doing this this is doing that I'm like no it's not you know bitcoin has the ability to like fix all these not fix but like at least ameliorate the state in which a lot of uh the things we care about and most people care about are in this day, day and time like crony capitalism like we like everyone's like oh yeah this that's one thing I agree. Uh, if I'm going to give Alexandria Ocasio Cortez some props on, like I think she's doing a good job of calling out corruption and the crony capitalist sort of uh, mentality that she's exists. She's doing in, a great job at hi- in I, Washington. I, at acceler- she's doing a great job at accelerating hyper Bitcoinization. Props to her for that. Yes, uh, with, with her socialist <laughs> tendencies, but I will give her props, like earnestly, uh, saying like she is doing a good job of calling out like the convoluted incentives that exist, particularly with lobbying uh, in yeah, DC. Of course, that's yes. true. But the way to approach it is probably yes, her, not the most optimal way. That no, her her prescription for fixing that problem exactly, is terrible. We already talked about human nature and how 
you can't just like good, bad. But no, I have, I have hope that we can get through to to the Alexandria Ocasio Cortezes of the world. Like we can, we can say, hey, we are diagnosing the problem the same way you are. Your, I mean, your is that what we're trying to do right now? Yeah, yeah. It's like your prescription is not <laughs> is not what we would agree with. But like maybe you should like see our side. Like so that that's another thing I've been writing about in the Ben. Like uh, a lot of the perceived framing of the debate is around fiscal. Uh, fiscal policy where mm, it should tax, be more no monetary tax, yeah. it should be more monetary like that's and that's the other thing about the mainstream the mainstream divides everybody and literally frames the argument in a way where people only think about it in this siloed f- structure where it's literally you're either being taxed enough or you're not being taxed enough that's the the extent of the discourse on a national level I mean, in the mainstream that that this debate is like nobody talks about monetary policy well, of course. Like, nobody talks about the monetary aspects of it and that, I would agree that's intentional. Understand. That's intentional. Like going back to like, is there a conspiracy? Like I would agree it isn't intentional. I would argue it is intentional because people don't want to highlight that like, hey, we're going to divide everybody and make them think that here, here's the problem. It's we're not being taxed enough or we're being taxed too much where it may be, hey, your money's fucked at its core. And until you figure that out, you're not going to be able to fix anything uh, that you're arguing about mm-hmm. on this silo debate. You know, definitely. Yeah, no, you're raising a very important point. I hope that they will hear us one day, but if they try to, if they block their ears, they will. It will be so loud that they will still. Right. Put your fingers in your ears, just scream like, "Oh no, this is all the manners." <laughs> because it's just natural. It's like humans want to preserve their wealth, and it's fine. You you shouldn't take it away from them. Why are you taking it away from them? Right. Leave them alone. They worked hard. <laughs> they worked hard. They gave created value. Right. What do you want from them? <laughs> Let them live in peace. Uh, so yeah, uh, I think. It has the ability to appeal to these people who are concerned with crony capitalism because that is an issue to some extent, to some, yeah, of course. And it has the ability to appeal to, to like basically improve the inequality, Gini coefficient, uh, which has jumped uh, highly since very, which so jumped massively is, since 2008. So this is one thing like in 2008 as like an econ major, and I'm mm. actually interested to hear your thoughts on this like as soon as that happened i was like in college like and working at uh managed futures fund sort of under like coming to understand monetary policy and and the way uh central banks would manipulate the the mm-hmm, mechanisms mm-hmm. of money creation and contraction blah 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 like when the fed came out like with tarp and qe1 and qe2 and qe3 like if you wanted to sort of diagnose whether or not your policies or not diagnose, if you wanted to be able to measure whether or not your policies were being effective enough, I argued that you should not necessarily target guinea, guinea coefficient and velocity, but you mm. should look at those metrics in particular. Like, hey, if your guinea's rising and the velocity of money's crashing at the same time, like maybe QE is not as effective as he thought it would be. And, and it, nobody looked at those two uh, metrics in particular, but I did. Like throughout, so and that's what like drove me away from finance as well. Was like, all right, like they're not even targeting the, the metrics at which like would prove that their policies are effective. Like they're not even following those. Like a guinea efficient, guinea coefficient, excuse me, sort of showing that that the wealth inequality is decreasing or increasing. That's something you probably want to look at if you're if you're trying to sustain the or fix the economy and then velocity of money in particular. If you're going to print money and attempt to have it flow through the economy, you would expect the velocity to rise uh, at least a certain percent. And what you found is that it fell precipitously. So uh, the sort of solution 
to the problem proved to not solve the problem at all. It's just pushing the problem further out. Right? Yeah. That's all. Do you agree with that? Like, am I, like, and this is something like I've only had like conversations with people like side conversations and stuff like that. But is that like, am I, I mean, I think it makes my rational, like, like, like I think believing that you sense. should have looked at those metrics and like yeah. they're, ne- they're never brought up. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I think so. Like, I mean, it's a fact that like since the inception of, of the monetary system that we live in today, the inequality in the world has precipitously increased. Like, you know, before we had all this like central planning type of policies that yeah, so should we take a step back here and <coughs> define Guinea coefficient and velocity of money for the freaks who may not be as economically Sure, let's, let's try to do that. So Guinea coefficient tries to measure the distribution distribution of money, the, the, the wedge between the rich and the poor. Mm-hmm. I believe a Guinea index above 45 means you're, uh, you have a lot of inequality in your, mm-hmm. your economy. And then velocity of money, which I think is actually maybe more important, uh, is tries to measure the rate at which... Uh, money is hands. flowing through the economy yeah. from the money creation spigot. So you start from creating money at the Fed to getting it to the banks to lending out to a business to hiring uh, yeah. employees who get paid and then spend that money in the economy. Like you try to to measure how fast uh, the money is going from money creation to that food bagger spending that money at McDonald's or whatever. And what you found post-2008 post-QE, post-QE1, two, three, twist, blah, blah, blah. It's like velocity completely collapsed. Guinea index exploded. So like the the solution to the problem just exacerbated the problem, it seemed, in my, in yeah. my opinion. I, I, I tend to agree. Yeah. For sure. <clears throat> so And that was talking economics and Tales from the Crypt. I don't I don't brush off those economic skills every 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 <laughs> day, freaks. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> they are prerequisite for the Bitcoin class, right? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so I think that <clears throat> there's di- many, many different ways that Bitcoin appeals to, like just the fact that it's a robust, undilutable savings vehicle. That's everyone needs that. The middle class, lower class, upper class, especially the middle and the lower class. Everyone needs that, and it's just like to conclude, it has the ability to ability to level the financial playing field open up uh opportunities just like internet allowed people in very remote places to have access to all the different kinds of information now these people are going to have access to uh value anywhere to value yeah exactly to sending value to creating value to traveling with it exactly yeah and why like i know this is kind of like a, everyone has already talked about it but like the people who don't have access to a banking bank account like they are just cut off from a lot of opportunities a lot of uh very relevant uh processes in our society and that is fundamentally unfair that shouldn't because they not only unfair it's also inefficient because these people are capable it's unfair of to the, the world world as well right? because they are these people are able to specialize in something if you want as much people working on as many problems as possible yeah, exactly. To figure out, like, to, to speed up the pace at which we make our society perfect, which will never happen, but on, on the road to perfection, or towards perfection at least, like, you want as many minds <laughs> trying to solve as many problems as possible. And Yeah, it's like international, it's international trade. It's all about comparative advantage rather than absolute advantage. And right? how 
even if you are even if the United States is better at producing literally anything in the world, literally anything than any other country, the fact that uh even if they have that absolute advantage, the fact that United States is actually better at producing um I don't know what is the United States good at producing tech companies. Yeah, te- the fact that they are even better at producing tech companies makes enables other countries that are worse than uh that are worse at uh producing any kind of uh any kind of product than America as a whole they are still because they have the comparative advantage because they are still while America is doing the the tech production these guys are going to be doing something else which are they're, they're worse than America at at that but because America is so uh, has so many resources allocated to doing something that they are the best at like that is the thing that they specialize best in let's say tech production of technology everyone else those other guys can be making money and creating value and making the more the world more efficient by having the comparative advantage in doing whatever else that America is still the best at but not as good as as in technology it's, it's so rising to everyone can do something everyone can specialize in something and we can if you give them access to uh transacting and having an account with bitcoin then you don't need to have an account but ha- using bitcoin then the world can become uh, once again a lot more efficient a lot more time can will be saved a lot more m- a lot more waste is going to be uh, eliminated yeah this is a very optimistic episode we needed this one especially in the depths of this bear market <laughs> We're two and a half hours in. Yeah. Yeah. Two thirty on the dot. This year this has been incredible. Do we have a parting note for the freaks? Have we hit all the notes? Like what? What? What do I we have to riff on here? I could go another half hour if you need to. Like if if we want I to. I think I think we this will be plenty of time for your audience to listen to. They, hey, a lot of people listen at one and a half speed. So you think it's going to be three hours? It turns out to be an hour, fifteen. You know, like. Yeah. True. True. I do that myself. Yeah. I'm guilty of that. <laughs> um. I think that my parting note would be that in a world dominated by centralized mainstream media and social networks, PR is increasingly important, public relations, and Bitcoin does not and hopefully will never have one PR team. So instead, every single person who cares about Bitcoin, who considers themselves a Bitcoiner, knowingly or unknowingly is a bitcoin pr agent and you are part of this movement and you can accelerate by educating other people and uh, and explaining to them why it is not as clear it is not as clear cut it's not as black or white as people say it is it is actually it's actually more i would definitely say that it's more white than black in terms of like it's more positive than ne- much m- like it's incre- infinitely more positive impact it has it will have on the world it has I the potential to i tend to agree and you need to explain it to people and you need to explain it in like you can't do it once you can't just sit down and do it once you need to do it like you know every every other time you need to bring it up and explain why or give them some kind of accessible resource and i think that this is this is going to happen naturally no and i completely 100% 1000% 10000% agree uh, and this is honestly why this podcast exists and the Ben exists. I, it's yeah, a I really have so much respect for you for having the tenacity to wake up every single morning and send out that uh, newsletter, uh, sh- which everyone should subscribe to, uh, Marty's Bent, uh, and providing like the core 
information and uh, spreading uh, the knowledge and the news about the the space it's it's very very valuable to a lot of us and i'm sure i'm one of the many many thousands of people who take take great uh advantage of that resource well thank you for saying that i hope it's not getting too repetitive that's what i worry about these days is like getting a little too repetitive bear markets not a lot to write for but uh if i am going to speak from any sort of semblance of giving advice it's just like the mentality i adopted was like if not me then who like mm -hmm. it's like yeah i love that if not nobody me, except for us like you know that, that if not me then who and that yeah. and like for any of you freaks listening out there like you should adopt that mentality too one day my watch will be over and somebody will have to pick up the torch and start talking like i cannot do this forever yeah i would like to i hope i can do it for as long <laughs> as possible but like yeah. In a hyper-Bitcoinized world, I'm sure you all be able to. <laughs> I, would, I would argue that a lot of people should just start internally looking into themselves, like, if not me, then who? And, and start applying what you think should exist into the world, start bringing it into the world. And I would argue, like, Marty's band and this podcast, though not perfect, and they just prove, like, hey, any Joe Schmo can put their voice out there and people will not necessarily, like, listen and, and agree, but consider it and say all right maybe maybe i'll think about this today or something like that absolutely and also shout out to uh to matt odell i think that was a shout great initiative matt. on your guys side to launch the rabbit hole recap because although the individual episodes with people uh in the space are incredibly interesting but like you it's sometimes hard to be on top of all the news and you guys are able to put that into an accessible form that is constant and that is weekly, which is great. And huge shout out yeah. to Matt that does most of the legwork and putting together the topics that we talk about uh, and sort of the the theme of each episode. And that's something. Thank you for saying that. And that's something like I realized. And that was again this whole process has been natural as people were like, "Hey, we want like weekly updates." I was mm -hmm. like, "I'm not going to sit there and like read weekly updates of people." And luckily, have Matt right in the neighborhood and He's a great we, we have good rapport and it just makes sense and i'm happy that you freaks are liking it um and so is matt matt's like fucking incredible like the fact that i was able to nag him as a co-host is fucking incredible he's a wealth of knowledge and I'm very happy to have him on team tftc thank you matt we miss you here we do he's on his way back i think i think he's in the air right now. cool um it's been a great episode, man. I'm fucking, I, I'm like debating in my mind right now. Do I post this right away or do I have the patience to wait till Tuesday? I mean, yeah, the engagement is higher on. on, the, on say, the, I mean, the engagement will happen no matter what. Like, the engagement happens no matter what. Like just over time, people find it. Like, if, especially if you're subscribed, like eventually you'll get to it. I have put out a lot of content. I'm gonna wait till Tuesday. I think. I think we're, we can pump this over yeah. the weekend. Start <laughs> teasing people over the weekend. I think that's what we'll do. <laughs> So you're going to give you a parting note, Monsieur. This has been a pleasure, man. It's been a great conversation. It's been likewise an absolute pleasure to talk to you. I was looking forward to this when you first invited me. I thought that like I have stuff to say that, and I want to say it exactly here, no, no, nowhere else. Like I haven't, like I'm going to, I have a lot of articles that are not out yet, but do consist of many of the ideas that I've, uh, uh, no, that I've uh, talked about today, but this is basically like a preview, pre preview of a lot of those ideas, which I am 
very proud to present exactly here and exactly on your on your show. Well, I'm flattered that I'm flattered. <clears throat> That's all I'll say. I'm flattered. I love you, Monsieur. And love you, Marty. The uh, the Mamada bloodline is strong. <laughs> <laughs> you mean that into existence, right? <laughs> it is. It is very strong. Um, yeah. So for you freaks that don't know or aren't following Monsieur on Twitter, follow him at Monsieur M I S I R underscore Mamadov M A H M U D O O V. Excuse me. Again, M I S I R underscore M A H M U D O V on Twitter. Kids only in college. How old are you? If you don't mind me asking. 21. You're 21. You're only 21. Yeah. Jesus Christ. <laughs> this gives me hope. Like, this gives me hope. Am I the youngest? I'm, youngest. Uh, uh, yes, you are. Up to this point. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure there'll be younger ones. Maybe Yasin. I, uh, I think Yasin is older. Might be a year older than you. But, um, yeah. Thanks for coming on, bro. Thank you. Thank you for the invite. It was amazing. It was incredible. Peace and love, freaks. <laughs>